We don't really know what's going to happen, but they're bringing in a photo of Henry Tudor, and we're going to desecrate him in some capacity. I don't know if everybody, like, pisses on it. I think they were going to fuck its mouth. Yeah, they're going to fuck the painting's mouth. The only logical thing to do with the painting, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say poop on it. All right. (laughs) Did you just fart? (laughs) No, everyone just was quiet because you just, I think you were deep in thought thinking about pooping on the painting. (laughs) Everyone just wanted to give you your moment. I like that I could say fuck a painting's mouth and no one bats an eye, but you say pooping and you get a moment of silence. I repeated it. You, you said it and I was like, yeah, fuck his mouth. Gordo says poop and everyone's like, all right, man, I have to edit that out now. Thanks a lot. It's such a double standard. It really is. So yeah, again, Gordo, grow the fuck up. If you two are getting bullied, please reach out to an adult. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to S1E1. A show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch just the first televised episode, and forgetting anything we might know about the feature run of that show, rate it and decide if it's a show we want to greenlight or cancel. This week we're going to be talking about Black Adder. Black Adder went 24 episodes with four series and an additional four specials on BBC. Today we're talking about episode one, which is called The Foretelling, originally airing June 15th, 1983. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me as always, the boys... Nick, Ferg, Joe, and Gordo. What's going on, guys? Hey, yo. Grr. I was muted. Yo. <laughs> guys, fortuitous that we're doing an episode, uh, as we record, two days before Thanksgiving that mentions Thanksgiving. Yeah, it mentions Thanksgiving. Like, did I miss something with that? Because this is the 1400s. You missed. A, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot not, of. Um, yeah, historically accurate. Okay. All right. I mean, like, they mentioned, like, going to the water closet at one point. They didn't call it... There wasn't water to poop in when you lived in a castle, right? Like, there, that's, yeah. like, a 400-year-later term. They just kind of play around with stuff. My whole... And it's not even It's not even lined up to be... I think by the time this comes out, we're going to be a few weeks past Thanksgiving anyways, but... I know, it's crazy that Thanksgiving happens in different times and different... It's not crazy. It's crazy to be so broken-brained to think of that stuff that... My wife and I went to Canada in October once for our honeymoon a few, four or five years ago or whatever... And we kept seeing all these signs where it was like, big sale, Thanksgiving. And we we're like, did we go through a time warp? And we we're like, oh, wait, no, Canadian Thanksgiving is in October. Like, there's Thanksgiving in different countries at different times. Did they also give smallpox to all the natives and celebrate every year? I will say this about Canada. They do a lot more for their native population the, than the Americans do. And I commend the Canadians for that. To be fair, they've got about 80% more land and (laughs) less people than we do. And they also, like, ship them up to, like, the North Pole. That's not true. There's First Nations people everywhere in the country. Uh, The annual Canadian holiday held on the second Monday of October. Uh, Outside the country, it may be referred to as Canadian Thanksgiving to distinguish from the American holiday of the same name and relates to celebrations of the regions. Uh, it's the same thing, yeah. I figured it would be different for some reason. What do they call it? We call it Canadian Thanksgiving. What do they call it? They, just well, they call it Thanksgiving. It's I imagine they call ours American oh. Thanksgiving. It's oh, like okay. how in France they're just fries. <laughs> I was going to say, one of my favorite jokes ever. In China, <laughs> they just jokes. call it food. I love that fucking joke so much. 
Or in Three Amigos when they're in the huts and they're getting fed and Chevy Chase just goes, do you have anything except Mexican food? Which is like the most <laughs> amazing sleeper joke of that whole movie. And I want to just get it out of the way real quick. S1E1Pod.com. That's where you can go to find all the links to all our social media, everywhere you can listen to us. Leave us a review on Apple, a five-star, preferably, and show us proof of that. We'll follow you on any social media as a way of saying thanks. But in general, if you want to follow us on Instagram or X, that's S1E1Pod. And we like interacting with you guys, so that's always fun to talk to you guys, find out how you heard about us, shows you want us to cover, things like that. So uh, S1E1Pod.com, that takes you all the links to that stuff. And then also, um, so I was checking out the scores. IMDB clocked this in at an 8.0 with a lot of reviews. Wow. Rotten Tomatoes, um, so very different, right? So audience score, 86. So very like kind of matches the IMDB because that's all audience too. Uh, critics did not like this, 57%. Now, has anybody here seen this before? I will say this. I knew, I've seen some of this season, but I feel like I had seen mostly all of the World War One season. Yeah, I, I remember it being in World War One. Yeah. That must have been the one that played on RPBS the most. So for anybody who doesn't know, this this show, the four series, it's the same characters across time. So from the 1400s to the 1900s. So it basically jumps like 150 years per season and does like a different period of uh, English history. Okay. So I this is the very that, no. first one. Yeah. And the last one is during World War One. And then it's also more confusing, too, because when they played this show a lot, I feel like when we were kids, because Gordo saw it as well, they played the season a lot. It was Black Adder goes fourth which is World War One, but they also played a lot of show called Allo Allo, which was a BBC comedy about French, like Germany occupying France. There's like a World War II comedy show. So I feel like that kind of also confused my brain from being a kid. I didn't really know about the show other than hearing you guys bring it up from time to time. And I just know it as the show that Mr. Bean is in. That's not him being Mr. Bean. Rowan yeah, Atkins. Oh, you mean Johnny English? Leave Johnny English alone. Like, I think we can all go as far. We've said it on episodes before. Everyone here is a huge Rowan Atkinson fan, right? Just say Mr. Bean. That's like not saying Ernest. We're talking about the actor in a different show. I'm not going to call him Mr. Bean. I'm going to give him his respect. So here's the thing, right? So like my experience with Rowan Atkinson is Mr. Bean and then Rat Race where he plays Mr. Bean essentially the whole movie. So is it is. I hope I win. If we covered something with Paul Rubens, would you say, "Hell, oh, then there's Paul Rubens, or would you say Pee Wee? Yeah, if we were doing if Mystery Men. <laughs> uh, if we were not covering a Pee Wee movie, I would call him Paul Rubens first, so it was... Bullshit! Actually, you probably would, because you're weird, but... <laughs> Fuck you, man! <laughs> and also, there's no way this is the first time, and or last time, rather, that we bring up Rat Race, because there's another scene that really made me laugh and think about it. <laughs> like Hitler's harmonica! <laughs> <laughs> guys uh, i think for the first s1 e1 meet and greet like we get all the fans to meet us we go to the barbie museum and we give out free harmonicas we're still trying to figure out the first s1 e1 meet each other like <laughs> okay well i'm gonna book us a trip to the barbie museum i'm gonna bring a satchel full of harmonicas like i'm the guy from blues traveler i'm gonna put all my vest and then if fans want to meet us there, they can. This has been said before, but to those of you who may be newer to us, now we're on episode, this will be 139. The five of us have not been in a room together since before we had a podcast. And and we're, we're <laughs> hovering true. around three years yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. But we have, made some, we have seen some people around. I was going to say, we've seen each other in, you know, separately. 
I've seen you all, but except for Joe. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen Ferger and Nick in person since this started, but I have seen Jay and Gordo. Okay, let's make it a plan for 2024. We'll do it. Where's the middle? We should do the Michael Scott thing. We should meet right in the middle, find a place that has really good bacon, and we should hang out there. We're going to meet at a, do the other office thing. We're going to meet at a, a rainy gas station. That's where Joe's going to propose to us all. That's true. Let's t- show you my love after all these years. But to be fair, Portsmouth actually kind of works. I might want to think about that. But um, I, I bring up 139 episodes. I thought the streak was dead. I, so to peel it back to you guys, I was going to miss my first ever episode. And uh, this was originally going to be recorded last week. And to be completely transparent with all of you is why Black Adder is the show we're doing this week. Because it was the one I was most willing to miss. So I was like, yes, all right, I can't do an episode. I was like, do Blackadder. To be fair, Jay, is it because it was one of my picks? You guys just know my my brand of humor and a lot of like the older British Jay sitcoms. Jay doesn't like do- foreign comedy. True. That's not true. I've greenlit some foreign comedy. No, literally, you've only not- greenlit one foreign comedy, I think. We'll I went through. Did you, did you cancel Dairy Girls? I think so. Yes, I think so, but mainly because that's not a comedy. I think the only one you passed, Jay, was the IT crowd, and you might not have even done that. I might not have done that. I'd have to look back. No, it's it was semi recent. It was one of our more recent ones. We haven't done a foreign show in a while. And I think think I passed. Um. Oh. Um. I think Red Dwarf. I passed. Faulty Towers. I definitely didn't pass. What about Father? No, Father Ted. I don't remember. We've done a bunch of shows that aren't from America. So <laughs> I will say, I but we are diver- we diversify. We do a lot of shows that aren't from the United States. And some of us kind of grew up watching some of these shows. Some of us didn't. And I think that also makes the difference, right? Like if you don't have a built-in thing, I think Red Dwarf is such a great show that everyone was pretty much on board with it, even if you didn't grow up with it. But that's a more broad comedy, whereas a lot of the other shows we've done are very more specific to a uh, place, a time, or a certain style of humor. But yeah, where I'm in a I'm in a situation right now where my work schedule has been a little flippy. So I was like, okay, this is the first time like we cannot work around someone's like for me, we've kind of worked around me a little bit more because I'm typically in like the in the one seat for most of the talking. So I was like, okay, there's gonna be um, the streak's over, and I was really excited when I realized it was episode 138 was gonna be my last one because that was a great number to stop at, being a Misfits fan. I had like I was at peace, like cause it, it's something that's like I've put um, unnecessary stress on myself to make every episode, and it, now that we're close to three years, it's like it's tough. I, you guys know, you guys have all had to miss a few episodes here and there, and I was like, all right, I get the streak going, the streak going. I think I've missed like twenty. Like, you've missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've missed a lot. <laughs> There's too. a point where I was like, okay, I have to miss one. It's fine. Life goes on, and I was at peace with it, and I was like, good, and I was like, you know what? It'll be cool to hear an episode that I'm not in and like listen to it as a fan. And then all of a sudden I look in the chat and it's like, oh, we're going to wait till next week. You can do it. I'm like, (laughs) don't lie, Jay. What really happened was you were going to miss the episode. It was going to be 138 and we knew you were really bummed. So we reached out to your favorite misfit, Michael Graves. And we were like, Graves, listen, you and Jay have a lot of things in common. Graves is my favorite misfit. Mm, you're ruining this bit by lying. <laughs> <laughs> they hate you so much right now. Never mind. I'm being canceled. It doesn't work anymore. No, this is episode 139. I was ending on 138, which was like very perfect for me. Um, but yeah, no, we're all here this week, so <laughs> not to rant on too long about that. Well, you can miss episode 1138, and that'll be more accurate, right? Yeah. At this point, I feel like that'll be when it happens. It's funny because Faulty Towers was brought up earlier. 
Did you guys see that one of the reasons that this is a timepiece was because Rowan Atkinson and Richard Curtis, who were like the creators of the show, didn't want like comparisons to Faulty Towers, so they made it a timepiece. And I'm like, really? They thought if they that was the only thing separate. Were they? Was it based out of a hotel also? Like, what <laughs> yeah, like that's what I remember, like, remember, remember, there's less channels and less stuff on BBC in 1982 and 83, right? So, like, you're talking about a smaller... It's funny, but they, they also went this... towards M- Monty Python more. Oh, this is oh, yeah. so... This is... Right? Monty Python Strong. does Shakespeare, essentially. Which I imagine yeah. was bigger than Faulty Towers at the time, and so they went closer to that, but I, I don't know. That's strange hearing that. I mean, I would rather be compared to Shakespeare than be compared to Faulty Towers, so they did it. How dare you? I love Faulty Towers. I like Faulty Towers. I'm not shitting on it. I just said Shakespeare's bigger. That's I all. mean, Shakespeare is great. and I mean, they went as far as to... Shakespeare is literally credited in the credits for additional dialogue in this yeah. because they just hammered... This whole thing is just Richard III, right? Like, this is just a take yeah. on Richard III. I guess maybe it was like yeah, totally. more the idea of if it was a standard British comedy, even if it wasn't the same plot, it would be compared regardless because they were like probably, you know, the fear of them maybe being like the bigger two comedies that would be out at the time. But yeah, no, I just, I just thought that was a funny tidbit because I'm like, this isn't even like, you put it in modern day, this still is a very different show if they kind of did a modern telling yeah. of it. And with that, since Jay is able to be back, we did give him uh, the pass that he didn't have to host this episode. So. I am going to jump in the seat on this one, so uh, whoever's editing, I apologize, and uh, there's going to be maybe a little bit of a different uh, feel to this episode, but I'm hoping that everybody just jumps in and uh, helps me bail some water out of the boat that I'm going to be fucking drowning in, so... I'm sure it'll be much more sexually charged. When I thought (laughs) I wasn't going to be part of the episode, and I was like, all right, we're going to do Black Adder in my my off week, and then... (laughs) When it was revealed that it was a 33-minute episode, I was just, like, cackling in bed, like, <laughs> like <laughs> It takes me usually about two hours of note-taking to do an episode, a 21-minute episode, that is. And then there's additional time for me to go through, search people, find tidbits, kind of pull stuff out. This took me about six hours over two days because my work is so busy. And my brain literally now is about a third Blackadder and a third Shakespeare and I'm just so <laughs> tired. I would just like to throw that out there at the beginning. I'd also like to say, no matter if this goes, I don't want that bad experience that I had doing this. Cause I got to tell you, it really was not a good couple days to hinder. I would like to start at the beginning of saying, I love you, Rowan Atkinson. If it sounds like I yeah, don't want to at any point. <laughs> yeah. Any point later, this is just a bad week for me. So the is second I put this on and I, no, they play that. How they dare say that the opening, um, like speech. I go, oh, poor Joe. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I saw <laughs> that. I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I have to read this, and I have no problem with public speaking. There were definitely times in the past where I was very like quote heavy and reading like a lot of dialogue. I try to reserve it for things now where I'm like, this is an important piece of dialogue. I remember in our older episodes. What was it? Uh, like, I think it was like the intro to my name is Earl. And I'm like, this is so, this is such a long fucking monologue I have to read right now. Yeah. And for this episode, I try to be the same way, right? Like I'll pull out lines I think are funny when we're doing an episode so we can make sure we call back to them. If it's something you didn't take notes on or pull out, but anybody who's watched this episode knows the entire thing starts with a prologue and you can't not read the whole prologue. It's entirely like you can't skim through it. It's the beginning of this episode. 
fucking assholes. Instead of Shakespeare, they couldn't have found a less wordy writer to copy. We couldn't get some Dickensian action going on here. Do you think anybody in Shakespeare's time told him that he was wordy, like in their terminology? I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, bud, you know what? A bit much. <laughs> Why use many word when few word do trick, William? <laughs> right. And like, I don't know if any of us are huge Shakespeare people. For any of our fans who are listening outside of no. the U.S., Shakespeare is not something that's taught very heavily in our schools. I've read a lot of it on my own, just out of interest. It's not easily digestible. I know a lot of the Richard III stuff, especially just because that's a very interesting oh, story. Old Dicky Three. And all that. I wouldn't say I'm a Shakespeare guy, but I have a Shakespeare tattoo. <laughs> do you have a Shakespeare tattoo? I have Hamlet across my chest. To thine own self be true. Oh, I did not know that. To be fair, you are one of the many people I know who has a chest tattoo that is not readable because of the amount of chest hair, which is also one of the reasons I don't have a chest tattoo. Which is why I just got script and I didn't do like a full portrait because I would have loved like a, like there's so many beautiful chest tattoos that are like, really you know, is. that are involved. And I'm like, I would have loved something like that. But I'm in reality, I'm just too hairy of a human being. And it just seemed like a waste. It's not worth shaving all the time. I've asked my tattoo, my tattoo artist before too. I said, what do you do in a situation like that? Like, what is the etiquette? Do you shave down? Do you trim? I was something very interesting. Like if we all have a lot of chest hair, you come in, what do you do? I imagine you trim. I'm like a hairless cat on my chest. (laughs) No, Gordy, your chest hair grows in the form of a poorly drawn dragon. That's just a different style. I was going to say, Gordo has a big, beautiful chest piece. I do. (laughs) Gordo, can we get a picture of that for the Instagram? Would you just like to see it now? I don't know if it's going to translate as well in this format. Yeah, you know what? Try to show us, though. I'd like to see this. Yeah. This is when Gordo's dick somehow falls out. And he's <laughs> Me a second while I whip this out. Do what he says. <laughs> what are you wearing? Fantastic. Also, are you wearing a shirt that just says lunch? You say Juno? I lungs. Wow. Yeah, Gordo, we got it. Go. Put it away. Put go. the monster away, Pip. It's it's a Florence in the Machine shirt. It's lungs. It was her uh-huh. uh, one of her album covers. It's a lung made of like flowers. It's my wife and I's first anniversary. We went to see her concert, and we each bought a matching shirt. See, cute. And they wear it every Thursday, every Tuesday. <laughs> every, every Tuesday. Just because you're jealous of our world famous lasagna Mondays. Is it world famous because? Some of our listeners not in the U.S. Yes, know it. Exactly. Is that what you're... That's why. I okay. mean, you literally left the country and didn't do it. <laughs> so again, going back here, the episode starts and we have basically, like I said, a prologue. It starts with, history has known many great liars. Copernicus, Goebbels, St. Ralph the Liar, St. Benedict the Liar, as his sign says. Uh, but there have been none so vile as the Tudor King, Henry VII. Uh, one thing I do want to make note of real quick before we go on here, because there's a few funny things as we go through this. Put a Nazi on screen, and you will make the Brits laugh so fucking hard. Like, the Brits love making fun they of the Nazis, Nazis so much, where they just go, Goebbels! And the crowd's like, woo! Fuck you, Goebbels! And I laughed so <laughs> hard at that. Wasn't that also, wasn't Goebbels in Danger 5, too? Yeah, and didn't we discuss yeah. that it's not Goebbels? Nick Goebbels? Well, it's not spelled as Goebbels. It's G-O-E-B-B-E-L-S. But I know, but we like went yeah. through the process of getting it figured out, and I think we came up that it was Goebbels. No, we came yeah, to yeah, that no, it is right, Goebbels. Nick, when you say it in German, it's Goebbels. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, in German. We're American. We won the war. It, it, but in England and the U.S., uh, we can call him dead idiot because fuck you, Goebbels. 
It's America. We're going to call you Goebbels, you Nazi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Nazi. Uh, also, real quick, I know we talk all the time on this about Paramount Plus. If you get Paramount Plus, you also get access to the Smithsonian Channel. And I have done nothing for the past month but watch all of these World War II documentaries I did not know existed, including one that was like the final days of Hitler in his bunker, where you see Goebbels kill himself. And that was pretty great. You know what I'll say, too, and not to not to get you away from this um, this intro again, but I would say like when we talk about, again, like humor levels and just certain things, I think another thing that would have taken me away from wanting to do a show like this is I'm not a big history buff. And I know like a few of you really are like Gordo's a big history buff. I know Joe is uh, Nick and Frig. I don't know exactly where you guys stand. I know those two are like really into it. Yeah, I enjoy it. I wouldn't say this is my favorite part of history personally. Like I never really liked any of the movies based around like the dark. Like I this is going to sound crazy, but like I could give a fuck about Braveheart. Right, like I just Agreed. never really I hate Braveheart. Braveheart's I just, like, great, and it's not even about the movie itself, but I just like don't care about that time. You know what I mean? It's just like some, you know, dirty like. To me, like my interest level on anything like old world is like, uh, like the twenties on, but like, like you know, like, it's, it's like <laughs> old world, old hundred years. <laughs> the Titanic had been sunk for eight years, and Jay's like, "This is when I fucking." Check just, back I just in. don't find. It's not that I don't find it interesting, but like I don't have that like heightened interest towards that stuff. If you talk to me about like American history and stuff like that. And, like, I mean turn-of-the-century stuff, like, I'm into it because I feel more connected to it. Like, when you talk about stuff like... Do you mean turn-of-the-last-century? Because the 1920s was 20 years past the turn of the century. Yeah, that one. But, like, the yeah. But, I don't know. I just... It never really grasped me in that way, like, to watch, like, old... The the era of the kings and stuff back then. And, like, it just doesn't, like... I don't know. It doesn't hit me like that. I kind of agree. I do like, like, the the World War II. I like World War One stuff. Like... the wars are fun, um, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, I'm with you. I agree. I, f- I mean, like, look, it's it's always fun to hear about somebody, a bunch of children dying in a pencil factory fire, but I'd much rather listen to documentaries about the wars and stuff. We can't just take pencil fires for granted, okay? Look, it was a tough time in America. <sighs> for granted. Come on, guys. I get, for we granted. all got it. Come You're on. not even a good joke, though. Why Stop. is it a joke? Stop trying to explain your joke like we didn't get it and that's why we didn't laugh you do so i said take it for graphite <laughs> that would have been better that's a better le- yeah something that. lead or graphite Wait a minute, granite's where does just a granite rock come in with the pencil <laughs> it's just said the big... wrong thing fuck all of you <laughs> <laughs> the old man of the pencil when it fell on the new hampshire mountains i was so sad <laughs> look at jay so untethered without his notes just fucking swinging and missing left this is great. Right. I'm just fucking <laughs> just counting down. You know what it is? He's up in the Gordo position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as we continue, it was he who rewrote history to portray his predecessor, Richard III, as a deformed maniac who killed his nephews in the tower. But the real truth is that Richard was a kind and thoughtful man who cherished his young wards. So here we do see him. He's playing. You get this visual that he looks like he's about to go stab these children. And then you get the fun that his knife is a, a fun knife, the kind that stabbies in. The kids are, they're just laughing. They're having a fun time about it. And then he pulls out a big satchel and gives them gifts. He's a very nice man. There was a point where, like, I wanted to do some back research on some of the history, but they, they, they skew too far from the truth too often to want to fact check every little thing that happened here. So it was just like, it just became to a point where it wasn't worth it to do all that. 
I mean, literally a lot of this is based around the truth and a lot of it is based around the play. If you know enough about a little bit about either, you kind of can dance around it. But I do feel like we mentioned earlier, this probably hit way better if you're from England because this sort of stuff was taught in school. Like Shakespeare is way more prevalent there. You understand these and this is their history, it's right? It's their like, history, yeah. And again, the craziness too, like there was history in the North American continent in the 1400s. Right? It's just that that was before it was settled the way the colonizers did. So it's just like, there were just people here who always lived here and had a different life. We don't have like, like it's, we, we live in the oldest part of the country, right? People come to America and they're like, look at this building. It was built in the 1800s or whatever. It's like, you go to England, you're like, this castle was built in the year 12. You're like, well, that's a little bit different. It's true. As first yeah. inhabited by God. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was going to say the, the Americas, uh, not to get too far off topic, um, the Aztecs and the Inca are what's talked about when it, when talked about American history, like prehistoric history, because there's also Neolith, mon, Neolith, Neolithic, Neolithic, yeah, Neolithic Brits, Celts, um, you know, the Normans and stuff like that in England. That that's what kind of the Mayans were to America. <laughs> That's South America. You guys want to start a history podcast? Yeah, no. that sounds crazy. No, no. <laughs> Welcome to Pangeo with that one boys. That's a great idea, though. Start with Pangea and uh, just move our that. way up. In particular, Richard, Duke of York, who grew into a big strong boy, looks like Mad Max villain or something, yeah. right? This guy, he looks like uh, Hercules Hernandez, the wrestler from the WF when we were kids. R.I.P. R.I.P. Henry also claimed he won the Battle of Bosworth Field. He killed Richard III. Again, the truth is very different, for it was Richard, Duke of York, who became king after Bosworth Field and reigned for 13 glorious years. So basically, that's an intro as to what we're going to see and who we're going to see, right? This whole episode is about the Battle of Bosworth Field and the uh, sort of aftermath of that. And they finish up now with, as for who really killed Richard III and how they defeated Henry Tudor, escaped with his life. All is revealed in this first chapter of a history never before told, the history of the Black Adder. Bum, 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 Can somebody get just tell of... me what, I'm sure there, it's a term that I don't know, what is a Black Adder? An adder is a snake. Yeah, adder is a venomous snake. Okay. So later on in the episode where he's like, I'll be the black vegetable. They're like, that's not scary. You'd rather be the black snake. That's sort of okay. a joke right. they're making. Yeah. Uh, it's an indigenous term to UK, from what I gather. Because if you look up an adder, it looks as a thing. It's like a UK venomous snake. So I think that that's, an, again, maybe something that's more a term known over there. If it was like, I'll be the black mamba, right? <laughs> like, you'd be like, oh, okay, like in Kill Bill. Black snake moan. The black snake moan. Or if there was a bunch of them, if there was like four, and then a new one came, and they were like, black mamba number five. <laughs> Thank you for laughing for a guy said that. And I was like, this is going to not go over well. <laughs> and I don't even, this isn't your first attempt at a Mambo number five joke either. No, I've got no, a stock this is one where I sometimes. Oh. I didn't know you guys. I didn't know you guys hated Lou Bega so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Mambo number R. five. R.I.P. Lou Bega. Is he dead? Did Lou Bega die? No. He's alive. I don't think so. Did he? I haven't heard of Mambo number six, so I'm not sure. Have we heard Mambo's number one through four? I think those were like sketches, you know, we kind of, there's demos, he didn't use them. Lubega's alive. <laughs> okay, That's well, good so. for you, Lubega. 
onwards and upwards. I wonder if he's like the pina colada guy. I forget the the musician, but that guy's whole life he's is like it Rupert Holmes. Rupert Holmes, thank you. Rupert oh, Holmes right. has been like people just give me pina coladas every time I'm at a bar for free, and I hate pina coladas, and it's just like a super bummer. But you can't say <laughs> no to it. I'm shocked because everyone just thinks Jimmy Buffett wrote that, right? But if you were to meet Lou Bega, wouldn't you walk up with a package of the candy mamba and be like, one, two, three, four, number five? Because I would just do that all day long to that guy. I would just mambo at him. Just just walking around with a crate of candy. <laughs> I have so many mambas. Also, look, I don't know if they still make those, but every time I've ever bought a pack of mambas, it's always at like a bodega deli convenience store where i'm like nothing in here is in code right like these are all like seven years old like there's a crystal clear pepsi in the back cooler that no one wants like an okay soda no one's willing to buy anymore that's the one i was shocked didn't come back because we've had everything return we've had surge come back we've had crystal pepsi come back but okay soda's gone forever and no jolt i'm so sad there's no jolt jolt's still around no jolt went out of business like four years ago man Oh, really? I've, I was going to say, like, I remember a point in time not long ago we could find it in convenience stores. Yeah, I used to get it every once in a while and, like, have almost a half a heart attack. But I looked it up recently and, like, Jolt, somebody bought it and then, like, whatever company bought it. So the trademark's out there. If we wanted, we could make double caffeinated soda and buy the Jolt trademark. I just remember being in middle school and buying them before we'd go to, like, dances. And then just running around like assholes acting like we're on, no, like, No, that was drugs. cocaine. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Middle school cokeheads, man. That that's that was us. <laughs> We're just eleven. Yeah. Yeah, but we all looked so good. So as we hear the theme song and the I don't know what you call it. I should look this up as a musician especially, but whatever you call those sort of horse middle uh, mid age uh, middle ages uh horns, like the probably a it's a trumpet. Is it a, it's, it's a long trumpet? I think it, it might yeah, but it's it's probably got its own name that's it's like a long horn, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's just called a, a trumpet or a herald. It's a horn pit. Is it a foghorn leghorn? I believe that's what it's... I say, I say, I say, this castle. Let's just ask Google, what is the big horn thing? <laughs> You're going to get a result you do not want. I think they might just be called blowing horns. Okay, that makes sense. Step horns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck in the ram. It's like the horn they use at like the Kentucky Derby, right? I think that's a French yeah. horn. I think these bugles for that actually. That might be bugles, yeah. Like the bum bum bum. You guys are just naming horns now. Welcome to horn talk. <laughs> Getting horny with the boys. We call it horny talk. Horny talk. <laughs> horny toads. Okay, so we talked earlier about how I thought it was so this show, it it does it a lot. I thought it was very funny and very fitting to the British that we get the laughter where they mention Goebbels, right? Because, like, Nazis always be, like, an easy make fun in post-war Britain. But then the theme song just has Rowan Atkinson riding on a horse, and there's a scene where he just gallops along, and the crowd laughs (laughs) at just a man riding a horse, where I was like, okay, I'm a little confused as to where we're going with this. It was just weird hearing the laughing during, (laughs) during the intro. Like, yeah, it was like legitimately like <laughs> yeah. recorded. Nobody like. ever puts it during the intro song. Like, what a weird choice that is. But from there, it happens. We get the laughter. And we get the opening scene after being told uh, from the title card that we are now calling this episode the foretelling. It's funny. It's that, and that's like a throwaway thing at the end. The whole foretelling. It's like told. It's like the last scene of the episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then it's really paid off as the stinger of the episode. Also, I want to just check real quick. Did you guys watch that there was an end credit scene? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like important to the episode, too, though. And, and I didn't think that was a great idea, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah. I also I would love for any of our fans who are in the UK. We've talked about this before, but we've only really hit a point where we get like 30 minute episodes in the US post streaming because of the commercial thing. I'm uh, very intrigued. Were, were these played without commercials? Was it just like an hour long block and there was a lot of commercials? I'm very interested to see what the like programming block is. And did the laugh track continue through the commercials? Well, they do that. But there was no real clear like break. Usually if it's like a commercial, especially in the formats that we watch it, it's usually like a, a quick black screen and then a fade back in. I mean, this show could easily do it because they, they change scenes, you know, from time to time. I would say, like, yeah. other older British shows, like, something like um like an Are You Being Served, which is primarily being done in the same room, uh, like, those are a lot trickier because it's kind of like one continuous thing most of the time. Yeah, like, on Are You Being Served, we knew it came because they did the cash register sound. And like, oh, I get to commercial break. Which was smart. So we find out from the scene where the eve of the Battle of Bosworth Field, Bosworth Field mentioned to us in the uh, prologue here, and this is the 21st of August, 1485, which is almost exactly, this is like almost 400 years to when we were all born. So a bit of a different time frame for us to cover here. We pan across a long table. Basically, we're at a banquet, right? We're at a castle. This is like the Robin Hood men in tights scenario everybody's eating and pulling this is like it like knights of the pens. round table right like yeah yeah this is like knights of the very long table though i guess this is yeah this is the big dinner before they go to war the like feast. this is their big like yeah yeah this is like the one big fucking let's let's have a big nice meal and celebrate and then tomorrow we're gonna go fucking slash them through we kind of saw the same thing in uh what norsemen right they kind of have a big meal yeah. too before battle no they were coming back from a battle that makes more sense to me. You celebrate the battle. I want a light meal. A light meal before donning the armor and getting on a horse and killing people. I don't want to be throwing up mead the whole day, you know? Yes, but this could be your last night on Earth. You're going into a war. You want to that drink and eat. That is a very valid point. I will say that very English, too. They pan across the table and you hear like, rush, rush, nice, rush, 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 like talking. But then you just hear people burping so much. Which is very, very uh, British humor, which I appreciated. And from here, we're, int- we're introduced to Richard, Duke of York, right? So we know he's sort of the second in command. He's the Duke. He's not the king. But he does introduce the king, Richard III, as uh, previously mentioned, Shakespearean's own. Uh, and he starts speaking. And he does the now was the summer of our sweet content, which is one of the most famous speeches of Richard III, right? Now is the summer of our discontent. So then, you know, we know we're going to a Shakespeare thing here. One of the biggest Shakespeare things here that I thought was super funny is, so the, I don't know if you guys are familiar, again, Shakespeare-ish, but Richard III is like a hunchback, right? One of his main lines in the thing is that he's so, like, you know, homely that, like, dogs bark at him and kids run away because he's a hunchback. You see Richard III here as a hunchback, and he just pulls on his cloak and it straightens him, and then he's not a <laughs> hunchback anymore, which is the most subtle british shakespeare joke of all time where i was like that is so unnecessary and i totally get this not relating to any audience who doesn't understand this i was actually a little surprised watching this show in that i thought there would be more of this goofy stuff going on like this show's very like silly 
But a lot of those slapsticky type of more Monty Python style jokes, I thought I would see in this. But we, yeah, we see like, you know, a couple little things here and there, but it doesn't lean on that kind of visual comedy as much as I would have expected. You think it would be, yeah. And instead, they, I think what they do instead of that, though, is this show goes from kind of the goofy slapsticky, it just goes straight mugging. Yeah. Which is what Rowan Atkinson is great at. I mean, to be fair, if you think of what Rowan Atkinson is most famous for, it is a silent character, right? Like he's doing a modern era silent film thing, right? He's doing yeah. a Charlie Chaps- Chaplin, a Bugsy sort of thing where he can express so much with his face. And he does that so well in this. I mean, he has one of those rubber faces where he can just convey emotion and does it so well. Well, that was another thing I thought was interesting was Rowan Atkinson had said he didn't even know how to play the part until they were literally about to like start recording. Like he, <laughs> he had no idea what voice he was going to use or anything until they're like in the room and it's like go time, which is insane. Well, he picked the that. right one because the second he talked, they laughed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when he's he just it, one of those people that you, you, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I was thinking about it too. It's like, cause he's kind of in a league of his own, right? Like, Everybody knows, and I'm, I'll say it, like, everybody knows Mr. Bean, right? Yeah, sure. He's like, there's like the Michael Jordans, and then you have like the Hulk Hogan's, and then you have Mr. Bean. Like, I feel like he is that echelon, or upper echelon. I just don't know what arena you'd put him in. Ernest? Like, obviously, Michael Jordan's basketball, you have Hulk Hogan's wrestling. Like, what would you put, Miss, like, Rowan Atkinson as? Just like straight comedy, or... Uh, like what would it be? I just I think feel it's like character, up there, character right? comedy. Like character I think Gordon's an earnest, right? Like character. It's like that you know. he's like a step away from silent acting. You know what I mean? When you think of Mr. Bean, at least because it was such a like a physical and then like strong emotion, but it wasn't quite silent. You know, he, he's he's a step away from the Charlie Chaplin, yeah. but it was like a new age of it. Like he could have he could have existed in that world too, right? If he stubs his toe, you hear the table, but he doesn't speak, so you have audio in there. And I will say, too, he is maybe the funniest middle finger giver of all time. As we live it's in a world of... the face he makes while he does it. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, is this too like yeah, that? It's great. As we live in a world of sort of, like, gifts and everything. Like, that's something my wife and I send to each other all the time. Is just Mr. Bean giving the middle finger. That's something that, um... I don't know if you guys have a strong preference when it comes to the middle finger. I, thank I know exactly where you're going. I'm right here. Go for it. Or no thumbs? No, well, just every finger has to be all the way down. And when people do it like that, where, like, their fingers yeah, have up. That's the stone cold one, right? Like, this, like, like no, no thumb, no finger. You just flat finger. Yeah. That's how you got to do it. One finger is up. Everything else is in a fist. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this. I don't like the squared off, like. Yeah, when you have, like, a up to a it's knuckle like a gun. up, like. Yeah, and it's harder to do that. <laughs> it's, like, more effort. It is more effort. Yeah, it's so much easier to pull everything down but one. Because I feel like a middle finger is silly in nature. So like it has to be like a like this like feeling that like it just like comes out of you right to just give someone a middle finger so I know I give like three of them a day when I drive that sounds right Gord I'm glad that we you have you on the roads I probably haven't done one in years other than just now <laughs> no literally I will give a couple a day I mean I always like the British thing better I think the up yours hand is way more fun I think there's actually a picture when I saw Jay last we just talked about this where we took a picture for the podcast and I'm doing the up yours, right? Because it's the backwards peace sign. And I just think it's so much funnier. And Ron Atkinson does a great one, too, which basically you just do the peace sign like that up and down, which basically just means up your ass, which I think is so much funnier than fuck you. Because fuck you doesn't mean anything, but like fingers up your ass. You're like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you finger my butthole, stepbrother? It causes a reaction, doesn't it? So, yeah, moving along. (laughs) 
Anyway, as we're at this giant table, of him saying that (laughs) everyone's ringtone. So we've got again Edmund. Now we're introduced to Edmund, Duke of Edinburgh, which is Rowan Atkinson, Mister Bean. He's excited, right? He's he's hurrahing, hurrah, hurrah, huzzah, huzzah. He's wearing a bowler hat. He's got a high pitched voice. He's kind of making funny faces, like we talked about, right? Like he's doing the classic Rowan Atkinson sort of shtick. And this character is based off of Edmund from King Lear, correct? Yes. There's a lot of Shakespeare. If you click through any of these people, they base most of them come up either in history and or Shakespeare and or both because it's just. And of course, the classic joke: How do you make the King Lear? How? Put the queen in a bikini. Waga 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 waga. <laughs> I love that joke. That's like a honeymoon salad level of good joke. Which again, if anybody forgot, how do you make honeymoon salad? Let us alone. Uh, so after, again, the huzzahs, right, from Edmund, the king wants to know who that was. Uh, this is the weird part where we find out that the duke doesn't know either and has to be reminded that Edmund is, in son. fact, his son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he thinks it's his son and his son is named Edna. There's a lot of confusion going on here around this not very large table and not very large group of folks. Well, it just it also just comes up that his son died. and He's like, who's that? He goes, your other son, sir. <laughs> He's like, you're going to fight with us? He's like, oh, I was thinking I was going to fight the enemy. Uh, he makes the best face ever. So basically, he's play. So I think to go back to Robin Hood Men in Tights, I think that like Richard Lewis maybe was trying to channel a little bit of Rowan Atkinson in this when he did Men in Tights, because the way he does the jokes that don't land in this sort of scenario and falls down, Rowan Atkinson, when he's like, I was thinking about fighting the enemy. He definitely, he's like one second away from going waka waka and nobody laughing. And it's so fucking funny. It's really, really good. I mean, it shows how funny he is. It also sets the tone too. like his character is not somebody who's respected. I mean, he, even his dad doesn't know who he is. They refer to him as arrow fodder. Yeah. Which is, again, if you want to have, I was laughing about this where it's like, what is the, what's the fodder term that most people know? Cannon fodder cannon fodder right which even to this day is not even accurate it's such an old-timey term and this is so old that it's not even cannon fodder your arrow fodder and there were cannons in the 1400s but they basically shot like little plugs like it wasn't like cannonballs yet that was a another 100 years or so away so which is funny too if you think about it right because like i don't know if you get good enough armor an arrow is not gonna do anything to it right there's like a weird way to have war uh, you know? uh that's not entirely true um it can and it does deflect a lot but what people used to do is aim for the joints because that was the weak point and under and what you don't realize about armor not to sidetrack about medieval armor is a lot of things were like your armpits were exposed that's why they use daggers and stuff like that like it's just basically front plating on some stuff except for like your gauntlets and Things like that. It's like when you see a bunch of cops running in somewhere right now, and they're like, everybody down! They're wearing just a bulletproof vest, and you're like, it's the Dumb and Dumber thing. Like, what if he shot me in the face? It's like, I mean, I guess that's helpful, but it's not like a full body armor. Correct. Or the leg. Or when you see Bomb Squad guys being like, no, this is fine. Be like, I don't think that green suit's going to help you much if the bomb blows up. Like, that's a bummer. And like, I think it's like the kind of stuff that mentally makes you feel better, but like probably won't help totally, you know? So after the joke that does not land, right, we're looking back at Edmund, and he gets approached by Baldrick, right? So we don't know who he is yet, but he's a server. He's coming to refill the goblets. I guess you'd call them goblets, right, of uh, 
wine or mead or whatever they're drinking pre-war. I was trying to figure out, like, Baldrick's role, right? How does he instantly become Edmund's, like, right-hand man? I think that he's just a spineless yes-man, and Edmund is so low that being a spineless yes-man but to the Duke's kid is, like, a step up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm like, how does he get, like, a servant all of a sudden? He was, like, so low in the ranks. I mean, he's still one of the Duke's He's still a noble. Yeah. I mean... He probably also needs a page. He does mention that he needs a page for the battle tomorrow. I think a squire he needs, right? I thought he said page. Either way, the dude that puts on the armor, that's who he needs. Which I believe is a, I believe at that time was a squire, right? They were the ones who helped the knights. Yeah, he makes him his squire. Basically, but again, Baldrick is a yes man, right? And when you're such a low yes man, I mean, you're, look, you're running around pre-war filling cups. Right. There's nothing against being waitstaff, but at this point in time in a caste system, you're pretty low rent, right? So he sees an opportunity to sort of move up in the world or at least be protected, right? I think part of this is do I get food and I get protected? That's probably a good amount of what you're just looking for at this point, being lower class. Can I sidebar and also mention how it's so obvious that forever we have Joe afraid to speak about any um job type. I was I was gonna say <laughs> Yeah, right. I was gonna mention that too. Wait, what am I afraid to speak of? Job, job types? Ever since you uh, trash-talked everyone who works in retail, now when you talk about a job type, you're like, what's anything bad about people who serve drinks? <laughs> That's not what I meant. Look, fuck, I knocked retail, but I worked in retail forever. <clears throat> you can hear that reservation in your voice now as you bring up any job type. Not to say anything bad about people who pick up shit for a living, but... I used to work at a shit plant. How dare yeah. you use that against me? I literally worked at the sewage plant. And I will say, you have never felt freedom until you have smelled things so bad that you can no longer smell them, that you can still eat a burger in the midst of it. You've also never felt the weirdness of having your hair smell like poop so bad that the girl you're dating at the time is like, take another shower. So (laughs) That's why we called you old shithead back then. (laughs) Wish you all did. I'm sure you did, you just didn't do it because of that. Why did your hair smell like poop, though? Didn't you, like, mow the lawn and shit Yeah, there? no, I was going to say, you were nowhere near the poop. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like, the fuck were Dude, you doing? Dude, that whole place smelled so bad. No, we've talked about this before. I used to play, like, high-stakes poker games with those dudes, like, 14 fucking levels underneath the ground, because none of those dudes did real work half the time, and you were in some gnarly-smelling stuff, and when you're sweating because it's the middle of the summer, your pores are open, it gets into your pores, and it just kind of sticks with you. So we've all walked their island. We know this that section that you just can't breathe. Yeah, the shit ain't. Imagine Joe just being in the dead center of it. But for hours. I will say that there people just do get like there is a point where you get used to your surroundings, right? If yeah. you work somewhere long enough. Hey, you go nose blind. So I was working like I recently transitioned to a different position at work, but I I was out on the ramp working at the airport for a dozen years. And there are the people who drive the trucks who do lavatories, which basically you're sucking all the bathroom shit out. You know what I mean? And like, I like when those trucks would drive up, like when I was working on a plane, I was like, (laughs) but the people who are on them, like it means nothing, nothing to them, but nothing would disgust me more. Yeah. Those guys eat lunch every day in the truck sometimes. And I'm like, no, not in the truck. I don't care if you sanitize your hands. I don't care if you took your gloves off. I don't care. Don't eat in the fucking truck. That's disgusting. And speaking of disgusting, we find out here that if you do not do well in the war, right, it's not a great fate for you, right? You can be chopped to pieces, everything can be bad, and I will say, this is the one downside. I think sometimes having a callback is really funny, 
This episode does lean a little too hard on the somebody says something to Edmund, Edmund takes it as his own and repeats it, and now it's his idea. I think that wears a little thin. They did that a bunch of times, yeah. As the episode goes on, but this is the first time we see it, right? Because this is when Baldrick basically says, I'll call you my lord, my lord, right? And that's where we get the whole thing. He's like, I'll call you Baldrick, Baldrick. So we're going for the setting up of a sort of, you know, recurring joke here. But he doesn't want to be chopped, you know, into pieces. And he also talks about that if he's going to be in the war, he doesn't do well. They're going to scatter his body around. They're going to put his genitalia inside of a tree somewhere in Rutland. I don't know if this is a genitalia tree forest where this happens, or that's a specific genitalia wasteland. This is where they plant all the dicks, yeah. That's where the dicks plant, right? They just come up like weeds in the summertime. The sound of that would be... What? (laughs) I was trying so hard to come up with a tree pun, and just nothing's coming to mind. (laughs) Me too, I couldn't think of anything. You could say it's going to be bad, whatever he says. No, it's not going to be. Uh, all I can think about is I recently, because um, as the time of year we're recording right now, we're hitting the holidays. I just saw like a meme recently about, you see, like when they like put Christmas lights on palm trees and it just looks like a giant dick that's jizzing yeah. in yeah. the air. Like, uh, <laughs> that's all I can think of right now. Talk about hard wood. That's not Christmas. All right, thank you, Gordo. Anyway, Gordo gave himself the touchdown on that one. Did anybody see it? <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I did it." <laughs> Arms in the air, I made it. I finally did one. <laughs> Gordo's idea was like, if I look excited about the quality of that joke, I might fool everyone else into thinking that it was a great joke. And I, it worked. I made another funny. Anyway, Splinter, Nick had mentioned earlier about Braveheart, and this is the Braveheart scene, right? So we have the king. He's on horseback. He's in front of his men. He's talking about leading into battle and everything that's going to be happening. Uh, you know, into the breach, which is a pretty you know famous expression as we go into it. Consign their parts most private to a tree in the Rutlands, right? So like that's how big of a deal this getting your private parts, your dick put into a tree. Even the king is saying it before they rage into battle. I just I don't know if it's a, a fucking common full of penis trees or whatever it is. I looked up Rutland. It just looks like a nice place. It doesn't seem like. I was wondering these things, like, was it one writer? You know what I mean? Like, imagine if we wrote a show, right? And we were like, yeah, and fuck the South Shore of Boston, right? Like, that'd be so specific to us saying it. Or, like, I feel like the main writer of this, like, he grew up in the town next to Rutland or something, and he was like, fuck them. Like, somebody kicked his ass in high school or something. I didn't do much uh, Rutland homework, to be honest with you. I wasn't like, I wonder if this is where they really put the dicks. So I didn't, uh, I didn't further investigate any Rutland stuff. Anyway, from here, we know we're going to battle, but we pan up, and we, see, we do see Edmund. He's home, and he's asleep, right? So, classic slacker teenager. He didn't actually wake up for the battle. We hear him snoring as we cut into the I castle. I love this. I yeah. thought this was really <laughs> funny. woke up by his mother fucking The way his mom me. came in was so realistic dialogue, too. Like, it's 11 o'clock. Are you still going to do the battle? Because, like, you don't track him as a teenager. You know what I mean? You track him as much older. So his mom coming in and doing that is very classic, like... An 80s, you know, sitcom family in America, but with an older war baron. It's pretty interesting. And he's, like, rushing out of the house to make it to the battle on time, like... Right, he overslept the battle, basically, right? This is the uh, this is the Home Alone We Slept In moment, where he has to do the sort of montage to, yeah, to get go. into the van and make sure they bring the kids back something French. And I love how, when, they, when they're marching to the battle, like, they march to the wrong direction, 
So they have to turn around and go back because <laughs> yeah. you just do it. So in what? fairness, I was thinking about that. Like, how do like if you don't go with everyone else, how the fuck are you gonna find it? And even if you're the guy who knows where it is. Because it's their land. They know their country land. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're supposed to know the area well. I will say too, one of the funniest jokes here to me is that he doesn't have an alarm clock, he has a sundial. Yeah, he checks the, the sundial. That was funny. That was <laughs> one of the so fucking great. You say it's like it's their land, but there's like places in our town that like streets I would have to look up to know where they are. Yeah, but you have you have the ability to look it up. They didn't. They just know where everything so is because they, they have know. to. Yeah. Yeah. This is just like cross the moor. You know, like nobody knows where you're going. You know? and that's the thing, too, though. There's like less distinguishable things, though. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, 50 paces out yonder where it's all fucking. It's just you you exit this big patch of grass and then there's another big patch of grass over there. Uh, you know, it history talk here but they used to be roads not that there aren't roads there still are roads <laughs> oh t- Gordo, tell us more about these roads that they used to have <laughs> well we're going we don't know i think they're roads. pronounced ads, and i think you're incorrect right now <laughs> roads. uh no but they had like a couple of central roads and then you just go through there but you know they'd most likely but they're crossing moors they're not kicking roads they're going the this is the crow flies oh this is they're crossing less they're on a road. He turns around on a road. Anyway, they're on a straightaway. Anyway, we end up getting to the battle, and we hear noises of the battle. We hear the clanking of, you know, swords and everything. Then we realize the gravity of the situation, and Edmund wants nothing to do with actually being in the war. People are screaming. People are dying. And it's a lot of that, like, it's that perspective shot, right? They're not going to really show you the battle, because that's going to cost too much, so you're going to just look at him reacting to it while you hear the sounds of it. Which is a great cheap way to do it. I thought they were going to go the opposite direction, though. I thought they'd go the Monty Python way, where Monty Python would normally have just shown you this incredible violence, blood everywhere. And it would be funny for some weird reason. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. I would like that, yeah. I mean, the, my favorite thing, Monty, the Monty Python thing I always loved is, like, a cannon hits somebody and their boots are just smoking. Like, the person's dead <laughs> and they just have smoking shoes. One of the funniest things England has ever given to comedy, but... You even get to, I mean, more to give more of the character of Edmund to the snide comment. He's like, look at those people over there. They're laying down. They're not even fighting. And, like, they're just dead bodies. Like, he doesn't quite get the fucking gravity of the situation. I think that's when he decided, like, you know, I don't think I'm going to jump down there. Maybe I don't want to be in the war right now. And who would be, right? No one wants to run into war. Uh, But we've won as far as Edmund, Edmund's team, right? We're talking about them. Uh, Richard III's team. We have him back on a... You know, back in the battlefield, he's basically saying, you know, we won. They did the kingdom for a horse lion again, right? Bringing back Shakespeare. And uh, he's walking towards Edmund's dad, right? And he's like, you did such a great job, but you lost your horse, right? Which basically sets up the next scene where Edmund is now peeing behind a tree and the king thinks he sees his lost horse, uh, which sets up that Edmund finally thinks he's going to get his chance in battle and starts approaching what he thinks is a, a bad guy or a horse thief, right a poacher of some you think sort someone is stealing his horse the idea of like first time <laughs> i didn't really understand i guess you have to set up the, the scene right but the king just being like oh i'll go find a horse don't worry it's like no like i'll i'll ride the back until we find a horse i think right, like, i know the way back i can walk no so the king actually says because he says well where's your horse and he said i'm the king i can go and just take it Shouldn't the Duke, though, have jumped down and been like, take my horse, my he lord? He offered. He said no. It was the idea that he could find he his did own. Offer. But yeah. But him, 
First off, like him thinking he found his horse because he thought it was his, right? Not this that he found a horse. Yeah, because he even says it by he. No, he thinks it's his. He says it by name and walks towards it. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah, because he goes, "Oh, horsey," which is <laughs> what you usually say when you find your horse. Edmund's fearful now that this that this guy is just stealing his horse, who he can't see from the front. <laughs> That's my. But horse. you would think. <laughs> The king is wearing something very different than everyone else in battle, right? Like with the giant like feather coming off the helmet and stuff. Like it he has be very a comically clear. large helmet. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is yeah. very clear, even from behind, that this is the king. It's a classic Forrest Gump thing, too, right? Like you don't want to be saluting me because Uncle you know, Lieutenant Dan's like, don't salute me because they're trying to shoot uh, officers, right? Like the king shouldn't be out there in such. The king should be out there in rags, right? Like don't kill him; he's in charge. No, that's why he's a king. Well, no, in the battle, the king would normally stand back and send his, like, people yeah. out, and then... This is post-battle. He's just walking around. I'd love to know what happened to his actual horse in between that, but... I'm sure he met a nice other horse, and they now live in Long Island. And there were, like, rules to battle back then, too, so it was, like, the idea of, like... Right, it was noble battle, All right, the, yeah. the battle's over. The rest of you turn around now. <laughs> it's, like, in, in, like, the idea of, like, you could... You could legit turn your backs to your enemies and go home, and no one's going to try to get, shoot you. Yeah, anything. it would be yeah, coward, like, cowardly to then. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't them. an issue because it wasn't really until like guys like us, right? Like then we kind of fucked that up. A guerrilla warfare and people like us being like, "Fuck that, I'm not dying." I mean, once that, once, once nobility and uh, chivalry, like dying proud, went away, then we hit a point where like that. The idea of like, anymore. okay, front row takes a knee first, and they take a shot, <laughs> and then, 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 then second row gets shot. Yeah, yeah like, we do this by seniority. Yeah, but as Edmund walks up to the thief, he swipes his sword, completely decapitates the king. I didn't expect that. I really <laughs> didn't expect that. It, it yeah. killed me. <laughs> I, I thought he was gonna stab him or something. <laughs> then the head flew off. Died. It's also funny, too, because he swings such a dainty little sword. Like, it's like this little, like, skinny sword. Uh, just clean, cuts off. Must be very sharp. I do love, too, that he looks at his sword for a second, too, where he's, like, surprised even he was able to do it or the <laughs> yeah. sword was able to do it. And then he gets so cocky and he's like, we'll be doing that again, will you? <laughs> he starts talking to the dead body and then picks up the head, opens up the visor, and oh, my God, it's Uncle Richard the King. And this is the first of many times we get Rowan Atkinson just high-pitched scream yelping through the entire episode, which is, again, super fucking funny. The way they hold it, too, which I really like, is almost like a horror movie where they don't make him hold a bad dummy. They make him hold the actual person so they can open the visor up. Yeah, they cut around it so you don't see the body underneath, yeah. So much better. Right, like nowadays they would have had to do CGI, and and they do a good job later. We see the well, king. Well, I was gonna say they have some some nineteen eighty three graphics coming up. But this was, I thought, a very good practical effect. When we later on rely on not much practicality, so Baldrick comes up now and sees them. He realizes what's going on too, and now Baldrick is stuck being the squire. So he's in it, right? He knows the king is dead, and they have to figure out a way to get rid of the king. At which point, Edmund realizes there's a hut or a cottage close to them. And this is after they do try to revive his body by making him do the YMCA and punching him on the chest a few different times, which obviously none of works. I think the, the best back. gag here, they put the head back and then they go to drag him away and the head stays. I fucking howled at that. Like, that's such a great little fucking visual joke. So obviously now we're inside the hut, right? And this is chaos, right? Everybody is freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. They have just killed this guy. Everything is freaking out. It's the king. They can't go back to the castle. And then 
somebody gets stormed in, right? We have another knight involved, right? And he's kind of, I would say, shell-shocked, right? He's war-frazzled. He's like, hey, look. Yeah. I lived. This is rough. I've got money. Take me with you. Rowan Atkinson, Edmund, not having this, right? Where he's like, please, please, I'll die. And he's like, if you don't stay here and try to go with me, I'll kill you myself. Right? So we have a contentious relationship happening here. And they basically decide, like, look, we're going to get out of here. We're not going to talk about the king. We're going to leave this guy alone, which is obviously the red herring of the episode, right? You never leave anything behind. I was surprised. The way that the scene went was, like, they they went off and he offers them the money. And then it stays on that shot for a long time. So I was ready for, like, the goofy, like, run back in thing that, like, didn't quite. How much money? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you said what? I thought he did go. I thought he like poked his head back in after. No, it was the other guy. The th- it's oh, Percy, third yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, Percy does, which sets up Percy's scene. Because now we're back at the castle, and uh, you know Edmund's back to his mother, the queen, and he's basically saying like he's back with the he's back before the army, right? So this looks suspicious immediately because he's not there with the rest of the crew coming back from war, and he thinks that now that the king is dead, clearly their side is lost. Then he's worried about you know battening down the hatches, closing up the castle, making sure everybody's secure inside. His his mom, who starts her fun character, where she's basically like, well, if they're going to ravish me, I might as well not get changed. So you get a really good intro peek into what her uh, mental state like is a, like. Like a Cartman's mom? Like, like a, oh, that's nice. Like, she has this very, like... She's the opposite of put upon. Well, I know a certain kitty kitty who's sleeping with mommy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very like not aware of like the the this like the severity of the situations going on around like you know not even that she's not aware she's just very apathetic about it but even when she was like waking up her son to go to war that all that whole like oh aren't you going to battle today like it just it's nothing has that that seriousness to it like you know like the idea of sending your son off to like a blood fest was more like wakey wakey then she's also not really caring that her son is home safe or that her husband probably is dead. Right. And that she'll get ravaged, right? She's just very much aloof. And she has comments later on where you realize she's a little more aloof as well. And this is, again, where now we get... So we're in the threefer of this point, too, right? So we've got Percy, who is attached themselves to uh, Baldric and Edmund, right? He's also one of the knights who's part of this. And now they're basically going to be a threesome for the rest of the episode, right? They're like the crew that we're dealing with. We kind of left out too that Percy is one who shows up with the dropped head. My apologies. That's right. Percy finds the head. You're right. Percy finds the head and shows up and says, Hey, look what I found. I can convince people I killed somebody at war. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. He was like, it was the idea of proving he killed a nobleman. And then it was like, yeah, but which nobleman is it? Like, did you look? And that's when it was like, Oh shit. It's the King. Yeah. That's what he realizes. Now he's stuck in it too. Right. And that's what makes them pretty much like glue. Right. Now they're all in this. I thought at the time they were going to use that to blame him for it. Me too. That's how he was going to get out of trouble. That would have made sense, too, yeah, because he could have used it. Yeah, that's a decent plot point. But it never happened. (laughs) It did not happen. And we hear the rife, we hear the, again, the the marching of the band and the army coming, and they're going to break down the door. And Edmund is convinced that, look, we killed the king. It's Tudor's army. They're coming back to get all of us. He's trying to get everybody away, including his mother, like we mentioned, who's less than bothered up being ravaged we get the surprise that his dad actually opens through the door they won despite the king being killed we now know that edmund's side has won the tudor is dead and we're now celebrating with who's going to be the new king which is you know, richard the third is dead 
So now we've got Richard the Fourth, who's going to be leading everything from now, which makes, of course, uh, Edmund a duke. Right now, he's officially going to be royalty. I think that's one thing that escaped my mind in the moment watching it was the idea that until then he did he wasn't part of the battle, but wasn't there for the end of it either. Like even though he's watching over it, he never realized that they won. Yeah. So like his fear of them coming, like. I guess I didn't like put two and two together in that moment. Like the idea of, oh, wait, why would they be coming? They lost. Yeah, they settle up well where you're like, you don't imagine like the triumph of the winning team coming home at this point. So you're, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and I don't know, hot oil cannonballs, right? All the stuff you see in medieval castle raids. But it does make sense after the fact we go, wait, they won though. So obviously they're not coming. But in that moment of him just being nervous, you're just like, oh, I guess they're on their way. Yeah. And there was precedent through history, too, right? Like, think of how famous General Custer is, right? Like, or Napoleon, right? These guys who, like, had these, like, defeats, right? But, you know, you yeah. can... You know, Custer won a war and got, like, 14 arrows in his head. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if just that figurehead goes, right? And when you live in a monarchy, right, there's always a succession plan, right? We just saw a new king be crowned for the first time in our lifetime, right? Since, what, the 50s? So, you know, it probably happened a lot more then when... The, I mean, it's a different time, right? If you're like battling, uh, yes. <laughs> if you put Queen Elizabeth into like the Falkland Islands for the 1980s, and we're like, fucking go, fucking do yeah. it, right? Maybe would have had a different king uh, situation at this point. Also, back then, you got a paper cut; you were dead from an infection. Yeah, true. Also true. And someone would be really impressed that someone invented paper. <laughs> it's like, what is this devilish white what thing? What are you talking about? They had Bibles. Yeah, the Egyptians invented paper. <laughs> okay, well, then the Egyptians would be uh, surprised. <laughs> to be fair, I'm with you guys at Ferg. I'm also with you because I went right with it. I didn't question it for one <laughs> fucking second. They have fucking bugles. Like, they get we, really, we really took that fact check for graphite, huh? All right, Jay, you're fired. Jay, I'm going to send you my notes. You can finish the episode. Graphite, because that's in pencils. Get it? I thought, I thought granite was in pencils. Yeah, I know. What are you, fucking dumb? Stop, fucking idiot. <laughs> anyway, to disrupt the situation and all the celebrating, we have Henry, who's one of the other knights who comes in. Now, he's holding the headless body of the king and basically says, hey, look, great celebration. We won the war, but the king is dead. This is a huge problem, right? And obviously, like, you know, chicken shit, Edmund is afraid of whatever's going to happen to him. He knows he's going to get blamed for it. And they immediately take the blame on Henry Tudor, right? So, like, okay, well, the enemy killed him in battle. This shifts the blame from him completely. We can kind of keep the celebration Which going. Which is a Did safe assumption, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that's, dude, the guilty conscience, right? Like, that's what happens to some people. And I'm the same way. Like, if I'm guilty of something, or I can't lie, I'm a terrible liar, I will get myself in trouble. I kind of believe this. But, like, you're in a war in the 1400s. Lying should be pretty easy, and there should be so many yeah. dead bodies that there shouldn't be, like, enough forensic evidence to be like, I bet it was you, man. And even if there was, there's no uh, there's no blood slides. To be clear, though, <laughs> Tudor, wh- where does he sit, like, on the other side of the... Like, what rank was he? Was he the top the king, guy yeah. on the other side? Yeah, so I think this is France versus England. So no, I Henry Tudor would have been the... War the, the Roses. Because Tudor is English. So as we see now, Edmund's dad's the king, right? He gives his first address, which is a very interesting thing that goes all over the place. They keep bringing up turnips, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know what I thought was weird? The fact that 
as soon as he becomes king, his voice changes, like in everything about his character, because he acts completely different before he's a king. Yeah, he's yeah. like he's more brutish before. Yeah. yeah, he gets the like, put him in the the crown of England. Like he gets the tight sort of high voice there. Yeah, because yeah. before that he's more like rough and tough, barbaric. And also, like, I feel like once you become, like, a head of state, you also just sound like an idiot. That's just what we've seen our entire lives. There's, like, a beef stew of victory. You're like, all right, buddy, I don't know if you should be in charge. That's what happens when you don't elect people. You just sort of let the bloodline go or whatever. But So this is the introduction of a character who's my favorite character in the entire episode. We're in Edmund's room, right? And he's, again, flanked by Percy and flanked by uh, Baldrick. And this guy, I want to say he's the war statistician. Maybe the record keeper? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Is this a thing in real life, or is this no, just like a just comedic for device? Fun. Well, there's like I records, mean, right? Like, there's, they, they try to keep records of things. Yeah, but they, they wouldn't be like, hey, how many did you kill? It's not like fantasy war. Like, I mean, there is like a record of kills, right? Like, you know, if you're like in the army, you put like a hash mark on your helmet if you killed a plane or knocked another plane down or whatever. No, they would do it on the battlefield, I would think. So they know how many people they lost versus how many people killed. I got one. I got one. <laughs> but usually it's like a mass, right? Like if the the red team killed 17 of the blue team, not like Greg L from the red team killed no, exactly. three. Greg exactly. R. You would just know in talk of your tales. Which I didn't think we'd get to bring up WNBC and Howard Stern's private parts. But there's a great scene in Howard Stern's private parts where he goes on a long rant about being in Vietnam and talking about how he was mad that his sergeant said that even though he killed a good number of children, children only counted as one person. Yeah. Which is like one of the most insane (laughs) fucking lines in that movie. WNBC. But basically this goes on, right? They're arguing and we find out that, you know, Edmund is full of shit. And he's trying to get around saying that he killed all these people. He goes as far as to say that he killed somebody that the statistician guy also killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also takes claim to like killing someone who's alive and on their side. Who's like going to go by later on. Oh yeah. That one too. And he gets real cocky too. And he starts talking about how we killed people. At one point he says that he killed Lord Yeovil with a groin job. And then just has like a great <laughs> knee to the groin, which fucking destroyed me. I laughed so hard at that. Groin job is funny, but Rowan Atkinson acting it Doing out and saying groin job. It's great. Yeah. Like when we were kids in school, we used to always, I was so mad that we did this because I'm sure it was detrimental to all of us. We used to play sack tap, which I don't know if a generation <laughs> below us does that anymore. It's got to be a dead game now. It's got to be a dead game. And I well, hope it wasn't is. a consenting game, by the way. Oh, no consent. No. no. You walk up and you punch your friend in the dick. Not a fun game, but we all did it. Hey, I reproduced. <laughs> Ferg made damage. it. But I wish when doing it, instead of saying sack tap, I went, groin job! Because I feel <laughs> like if I was like a 40-year-old teacher and I saw that, I wouldn't stop it the first time. I'd have to like duck back into the room and laugh. Like, just a fucking groin job. We'll, just, we'll bring it back and we'll just we'll start yelling groin job. What did Jay get arrested for? Be like, he punched a middle schooler in the dick and yelled groin job, trying to relive his youth. Uh, he was then arrested with his pants down, peeing at a stall. <laughs> he was just peeing, but for some reason, his whole pants and underwear were down. Old Jay Petto at it again. <laughs> I have found plenty of other ways to get arrested. We don't need to add to the list. <laughs> at least you weren't added to the list. <laughs> Very true. If you're going to get arrested, might as well not be on a list, right? 
just so we're clear to any listeners, uh, anything I've ever been in trouble for has not involved any pedophilia type things like they might be leading you to believe. <laughs> Why did you need that disclaimer? <laughs> because you guys insinuate that stuff. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so statistician guy leaves, right? And now we've got Edmund, Perry, and Baldrick. Now we're just alone in the room. And this is this is Edmund's bedroom, right? Which, again, we saw earlier when his mom came in. It's this sort of teenage castle bedroom. I don't know. We're not supposed to get an, a gauge of how old he is. He's treated like a child, which I think is also the sort of funny thing, right? Like, you play it older. And very much Shakespeare, too, right? Like, people playing wild, varying ages to what they actually are. It's the mama's family approach. It is the mama's family <laughs> approach. Like, when you guys met your favorite actress, Vicki Lawrence, recently. It was a real honor. I'll tell she you. She is a delight. She is. She is I, nice. I'm not going to, by the way. Yeah, she's, she's this very nice lady. Very you nice guys person. met a very nice woman who was a part of a very great show. Well, now she thinks you're a piece of shit because we told her about you. I'd be so sad as friends for our entire lives if you told Mama that I was a piece of shit. I would quit this <laughs> podcast immediately. I'd be so heartbroken by that. I'd go fucking <laughs> skater. I'd just call her saying that over and over again. But the dying man that we saw earlier in the in the cottage hut, right, that they were hiding out in, we now find that uh, Percy has brought him back. He's now sleeping in Edmund's bed. Uh, this is a big fear for them, right? But the you know point is raised. Look, he's got a lot of money. He says, "Well, give us a lot of money. This is a good way for us to raise up." That I guess this is also like you know the economy of the time. If you can get some money for anything from this stuff, right? And so you're rising up. Now you're going to be a would he be a duke? And this is also that callback joke, Joe, where you were saying where, like, Edmund keeps just repeating what other people say. This is another prime example of that. Yeah, this is another one, because now we go through the whole thing where, you know, he's trying to say, like, hey, look, I'm going to be the king's kid now. Oh, prince. He'd be prince. My fucking brain's broken. He would be a prince, not a duke. He's going through, you know, what he would be, and he just steals the, the right thing from which one of either of his two buddies there is messing with him. And as he goes through this and figures out he's going to do this, you know, he's going to be the bravest swordsman in the land, the boldest horseman in the land. And then they do a dramatic zoom up, which I thought was really, really great and a little different, right? A shot we don't see in this episode repeated except for this scene. And they do sort of a, uh, a big music thing. And he calls himself, from now on, I will be the black vegetable, which, again, I laughed at very hard. It sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> yes, first nightmare. It's a vegetable that would taste terrible if you parmed it. Just any vegetable. Any vegetable would be bad if you parmed it. If you parm anything, it will taste good. No, it's the parm a- part will taste good. The The meat of that will not be good. can't even call it meat. Would you like parmed broccoli? Probably. Ugh. If you gave me a plate of broccoli and you put sauce and cheese all over it and said, you want Look, this? I'd be like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love no. broccoli and Stop cheese it. sauce on broccoli is delicious. But you're going to like the parm part more than you're going to like the broccoli part because they're two different things that don't belong together. Yeah, let's take this delicious cheese and make it smell like farts. Sounds great. <laughs> uh, team eggplant for life. Oh, we eggplant know. Parm. Eggplant parm is delicious. It is. It's disgusting. It's not even a black vegetable. It's like purple. It's the closest I can think of olives. Ugh. I don't want. Oh, I love. I olives. want olive parm. Okay, would you like some olive parm? How about no. that? Next time we <laughs> hang out, everybody. I'm <laughs> making dinner for everybody. <laughs> I'm different. gonna have chicken parm. 
Ferg is going to have chicken parm, and the three of you, if you are going to have olive on, parm. I'll say this. I, and okay. we're playing Clean Plate Club. Regardless of what I've said about parming anything, if you ever said, hey, Jay, I- I'd love for you to come over for dinner, and I drove an hour and a half to your house and sat down, and then you gave me a plate of olives with cheese and sauce on it, I would legitimately punch you and go home. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so fucking mad. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. You're the one who likes parm vegetables. You dug this grave. You did say you can parm anything and it would be delicious. I will give you an approved list of vegetables that I will allow <laughs> okay. you to parm. Well, now I just feel like, you know, you're changing Who made you the palm god? No. <laughs> can you parm it? Okay, is this the show that we're going to... In an age where they've run out of TV shows because of the strike, do we now pitch to Peacock? Would you parm it? Five fucking idiots that, from Boston. That could easily <laughs> be like... That could be like a YouTube thing or a TikTok thing. They have the like, will it waffle? You can easily do a will it parm? Easy. It's very funny you mentioned will it waffle because we now have the scene... Where Edmund's mother comes knocking at the door. And I swear to God, if you look at her hat, it looks like it's made out of a giant waffle. It looks like that <laughs> pattern is one giant waffle cone. Like, you could fill it with a little tiny bit of chocolate in the bottom, fill it with ice cream on top, and you would have uh, one of those delicious drumsticks. Like a pizzaili. Ooh, I love pizzaili. Oh, I do love delicious pizzaili. Who doesn't love a pizzaili? That I doesn't have anise in it, right? They do have it a does, yeah, I don't like that. But you can get vanilla ones. You can get ones you can get with a vanilla, yeah. They're both though, good. There's want. not a bad pizzaili. And are you sure it's not anise? I thought it was star anise. Yeah, I think I I honestly think it's a tomato tomato. Potato thing. potato. I've heard it both ways. Anise, anise. Parm anise. <laughs> I couldn't believe it took that long. To be honest with you, I was holding back being like, <laughs> how has Gordo not said anise yet? This is so shocking to me that he hasn't. Uh, so anyway, from here, right, so now Edmund is dealing with the fact that he's got this guy at his bed, uh, and then, all of a sudden, he goes and finds a hidden crown that he has hidden. So now he's got designs for sure, he's gonna be the king someday. He puts this on, we had mentioned his mother comes to the door, but before that happens, he now turns while he's uh, trying on this crown, and he sees King Richard, the dead King Richard, now there's a ghost in his room. Is it a ghost, or is it a manifestation of his guilt? Well, I think in reality it's that, but I, if, to, to our eyes, it's a I ghost. I don't think this show is that deep, but I yeah, could I think be wrong. It's, I think it's fun British ghost humor. I think it's that deep, and I think it's smart. I think it's just in his head. I think if anyone else were to walk in the room, they wouldn't see the ghost. Well, nobody else sees it, right? We, we do see the ghost. Spoiler alert. We see the ghost through the episode. I will say here, though, I had a feeling they do cut back to the soldier in Edmund's bed at one point. And you feel like maybe he hears and sees the ghost, too. You find out that's not to be the case yeah. later, almost like it's a red Yeah, herring, no, I but... just thought of, in my mind, when they cut to him, it's, this guy's fucking crazy. Like, he's losing his mind. It bothered I thought that guy was just, like, a loose end. And he now knows that he killed the king, and that was where it was going to come back to bite him in the ass. Me too. Either way, he knows a lot that he shouldn't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. To not get into spoilers, because yeah. we'll talk about it later... But this guy who's like, who they're like aiding because he's wealthy and they want his money. Do you guys have any inclination of like where this is going to go no. with him? No. I just told you what I thought no. it was. Not at all. My inclination was he was lying, right? He just wanted to be saved. I think he'll that say much. a lot of things. I mean, if you think of like uh, the scene in True Lies where it's like, don't kill me, man. I got a little dick. It's pathetic. Like when people yeah. are going to get killed, they will do some shit and say some shit. Like, I'll suck your dick, man. Like, all right, you're going to do Paxton. whatever to not get killed. 
What did you think of like the the visual for the ghost at this point now? Because we talked about before they went a little practical, but here what did they you can't say this really was eighty four, eighty three, eighty three. So I mean, for eighty three, yeah, I mean it's it, I mean they yeah. they go they go practical with some green screen technology. It looks yeah. good for what it what is. What I like about it is we watched Ghost UK uh, last October. We were doing Halloween, and at that in the in in the English world of Ghost UK. If you lose your head, your head is like its own separate bowling ball entity. It rolls around yeah. the house. You have to carry it with you. I do appreciate that if you lose your head in the Black Adder universe, it just floats. it can stay on you, and you can decide where it goes. You, but then it's it's fun, right? Like that's kind of fun. This one chopped off your hand. That is technological limitations, though. They could not pull that Ghost UK type of yeah true visual off at this point. Do you guys know in the UK it's just called Ghosts? Yes, Agreed. I would assume so. <laughs> Agreed. But this is like auto-tune to me. But like they didn't have auto-tune 30 years ago, so they couldn't use it. And now they do, and they can. That does not make it better, right? Like some things were better before you had technology. Well, they have those like Halloween costumes that are like the guy would have to be too tall, but you put your head through what would be under <laughs> yeah. your arm, you know, like you have to be seven feet tall and you can't get through a doorway. <laughs> yeah. But it still looks really good visually if you take a photo. But the king, obviously, making Edmund very nervous. And we, I think this is very interesting, too, because you don't really get an idea. The king isn't letting on too much right away as to what he knows. Like, when he's like, what happened to you? How was your battle? He's like, well, it was pretty good until my head got chopped off. I was going swimmingly before that. You're not quite sure if he knows yeah. that Edmund did it. Well, it did ha- Like, his back was to him. Yeah, he never really saw who did it. Right, he never saw it happen. Which is why he's the manifestation of his guilt. I agree. This is like a Babadook scenario. This is grief, not a real ghost. Although, how long can the head survive off the body? Maybe he did see him. Like a couple of seconds, I think. I feel like this is the kind of thing that we debated a bunch when we were in, like, middle school and websites like Rotten.com came out where it's like, no, man, if you get your head chopped off in a guillotine, you can see for, like, 35 seconds, man, but you can't do anything about it. The kind of thing that there's no way to study and actually will give you a Hold on. His visor was on, so even if your head can see for a little bit. He had a visor on. But the visor does not go with him into the sweet darkness. True. And you can see through the visor. Bad peripheral, though. Yeah, not well, yeah. but you can. But also, he has, Jay brought it up. He's totally behind him. There's no even... Even if you had peripheral, you wouldn't have seen Edmund. But he talked to him, and I'm sure Edmund, Edmund has a very distinct voice. Well, he says two words, but he's like, horse thief, and then he splits his head, right? Like, I don't think, he, I don't think that was enough to make it the kind of thing that he was like, oh, okay, that was Edmund, but that was Edna from down the hall. This is where we get Edmund's mom coming in. Again, as I mentioned earlier, this is where she has the beautiful pancake hat on, and Edmund doesn't want to let her in. This is, again, very teenage, right? Like, you're in your room with a girl or whoever, you get the knock on the door, you get freaked out, you don't want to let them in. Right, and then we get through the options of her, where she works through, is he in there with a girl, a boy, or a sheep? So, <laughs> Edmund has been known to be in there fucking sheep, apparently. Well, like, the the way it comes off, yeah, at first, like, you know, because he's, he's startled, and he's trying to, you know, he's obviously trying to prevent the door from opening and mom coming in. So, like, that idea at first of, like, do you have a girl in there? It's like, no, 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 no. It, and then just, she knows her son enough to, to bring it all the way down to sheep. And it's just funny, he feels he needs to hide if he had a girl in there, being a <laughs> prince. Like, a prince. And also, like, 
I mean, he's not 10, right? And I feel like you only had, like, a very short lifespan at that point. So, like, by the time you're 20, whatever, you're, like, an adult man who usually has, like, multiple children. Like, if he's in there with a woman, his mom should be, like, as you were. His mom also should be, like, 33, right? Yeah. With a 25-year-old kid. Because it was just a very different time, the way things progressed back then. And now, I think one of the funniest things about this is when she thinks it is the sheep, when she comes into the room... She is going to then go and open up the bed and find the wounded soldier. And the way that he so smartly gets out of it is that he goes, <laughs> and the mom just does not want to see the post-sex sheep, <laughs> is then just depressed at her son and leaves. I thought that was a great moment. And also, when it she leaves, good, yeah. and she's like, I'm ashamed of you. He goes, <laughs> why does he bad back at his mom? It's so fucking funny. It's so stupid, but so funny. It's such a great joke. I love how she's like, it's the lying that I care about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, if you're going to fuck sheep, like, that's the kind of thing, right? Where it's like, hey, look, like, if you're going to drink, if you can just, like, not lie to me about it, right? Like, the kind of, like, adult things you remember as, like, a teenager. Like, I know where you're going, and no, there is no, you should just not fuck sheep. <laughs> right. Or, like, if you're having sex, I just hope you wear a condom, right? Like, I mean, the kind of things you're supposed to say as a parent. To just tell mom it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to get sheep, sheep shit all over the place. I mean, it was a different time. There was no time where that was okay, Gordo. I want that to be very clear. There was no time. <laughs> but it was more prevalent back then. Sheep fucking? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it probably was. So I don't know what the food they had for dinner was, but for dessert, was he eating lamb? <sighs> well, I love delicious lamb, but not under those circumstances. Can you parm a lamb? So you're not I eating lamb parm? Pussy, is what you're saying right now. I mean, lamb parm actually I... might be good. <laughs> Did you say lamb pussy might actually be <laughs> lamb, lamb parm. parm. Lamb parm. Oh, lamb parm. <laughs> lamb pussy. I said the eating lamb thing. I thought you said, look, lamb pussy might be good. I was like, I quit. I can never talk to you ever again. <laughs> Moving oh, on. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, anyways, we're at dinner next. <laughs> yeah. So, we're at another banquet now. And this is, uh, I like the way we see the character trait here change where, Edmund is a man of two worlds where he's like, hey, look, I'm the prince, but he's also scared shitless, right? That he has killed the king and doesn't know what to do. And for some reason, with both of those things in mind, he's like, I'll just sit in the king's chair. Was that him being dumb or overconfident? (laughs) Overconfident. It seemed dumb. I think both. I thought it was more of a dumb move. Like, oh, now there's an open seat because he like originally sits all the way to the end. He's like removed from the conversation. Well, I was more curious why the new king wasn't in the king's chair. Well, because they're doing this as a tribute to the king. So even though he was crowned, they're kind of doing this as like in mourning of the king. Maybe so the last like meal thing. until he moves yeah, to his new throne or whatever. And then that's again where we see the uh, disembodied ghost king shows back up, right? And just starts fucking ragging on Edmund. And <laughs> then we learned here. your own chair, you smelly little dog's pizzle. <laughs> <laughs> dog's pizzle? Which, the only other movie I think of where he says Pizzle is uh, Coming to America. Yep. Great movie. An elephant Pizzle in that? <laughs> I think Elephant Pizzle, yeah. When uh, I think uh, Arsenio says it to him when they're doing the fight scene. <laughs> but this is, right, so this is an interesting thing too, right? Because in the last scene, I mentioned it, you're not quite sure if the injured soldier in Edmund's room can hear the ghost yep. of the king. So you do get confirmation here that yeah. the king is now in his chair and nobody but Edmund can hear or see him, which does lend to Ferg's 
you know, grief or, you know, manifestation theory. But whether or not that's the case, it's bad for Edmund, right? Like, this is what his life is going to be now. I'll tell you there's one thing that makes me think otherwise, but I still think it's his grief. But that the ghost slams the door at some point or opens the door later on. Oh, yeah. The, no, he Did this make you cause, wonder? No, because Edmund opens it up and he goes, Boo. No, I'm talking about when he's back in his room later, when he's looking for the soldier. Yeah. The ghost slams the door. Yeah, does he slam? I'm drawing a blank if he slams it or opens it, which is bothering me. He opens it. He opens it for him. Oh, maybe you're right. Okay. But that is true. Right? He's able to possess the strength to open the door and to create fog. But you're also looking at it through Edmund's like warped perception of what's going yeah. on. But we're not there yet. So now we're again... Edmund has moved back to his usual spot, right right at the back, left end of the table with his friends. He's in left out, right, as in baseball. And the king is giving the old toast. And this is the, again, this is less Shakespeare. This is more like Edgar Allan Poe, right? Like, this is Telltale Heart, where he can't not yell about that he did it. Or, I didn't kill the king, I didn't kill the king. So he's starting to really unravel here. And, like, saying it in such, like, a frantic way that's causing, like, everyone's like, wait, huh? Yeah, it's like, guy, you got away with it. <laughs> like, relax. <laughs> like, just shut up and have some mead, man. The more we get into it, too, it makes me realize that Ferg's probably right. This is just his guilty conscience. That's yeah. how I perceived it watching it. I never thought of it as, like, a real ghost. Yeah. I will say, though, this is where the king makes me really sad. The one time of this episode where he's sitting in his regular chair and he's trying to get the attention of his two friends and they're just talking around him and then he realizes they can't hear him and he's like, uh, I guess it's the last you'll be seeing of me. Not that you ever saw me before anyway. And then he just like, or was like, wait, am I supposed to fucking feel bad all of a sudden? Like, I was like super bummed out by the sentiment that he was like, I'm like, look, we don't know what kind of king he was. He could have been a good king. He could have been a bad king, but it's told of the, the human he was a good dude. Well, look, I mean, look, the children loved him. He had a fake dagger. <laughs> I did love the fake dagger. He was the kids loved him. But like, again, it's relative. You don't know the character, right? Like, He's also still a medieval king. He still might be like, oh, I pour boiling oil on people and they try to come into my house and laugh at them. Whether or not he's good to his kids doesn't necessarily make him a good guy, right? Like, it was a very interesting time uh, in history. But I was genuinely sad, and I don't know if anybody else felt that, but, like, I felt, like, heartfelt for the poor dead king. I didn't care. For I did not yeah, care. I, I wasn't, like, saddened by it. <laughs> to, like, super backtrack to, like, the, the early, early on in the episode... You know, when they were talking, when they're going over the history and explaining the king and stuff, and they talked about how, like, no king was worse than um, King Henry VII, right? Yes. Wasn't, like, King Henry VIII, like, notoriously, like, awful? Wasn't yeah. he the one who, like, decapitated everyone, had all his, like, wives' heads yeah. taken off and stuff? Yes, but he was also the eighth man who was married to the widow next door, because she had been married several times before. Everyone was an NRA. Does nobody know this song? No. Thank you, Ferg. What song is that? I this? am Henry the Eighth. I am Henry the Eighth. I am. I am. I got married to the widow next door. She was married seven times before. No, oh, right, Ferg. You and I are gonna have a <laughs> karaoke Patreon. Great song. Cool. All right. Oh, no one you likes hermits, hermits, except for me and Ferg. Fuck you guys. You know that song. You know the song. You know Peter Noon. Peter Herman Noon. That's an Ed Sullivan reference. I'm sorry. I'm derailing tonight. Anyway, I'm very tired. So the king readdressing the crowd, right? We've lost the sad 
dead king. That's the hard thing about your notes here, too, when you're like, hello, new king, meet the new king. Like, there's just too much of kings going on. Is this also, by the way, like, is him leaving after the toast the idea, like, we won't see him the rest of the season now? I thought that, but we see him in the yeah, rest of the episode. you see him minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I thought. I was like, oh, maybe that's just, I mean, it doesn't make sense the way these type of shows go, but I thought for a minute, and again, honestly, I did not remember enough of this season from watching it as a kid. Like, I mainly remember the other one that I don't remember if he's always in it, but I hope he is because he sort of seems like um, uh, Holly in Red Dwarf, yeah. right? Like, you want this sort of disembodied head who makes sarcastic jokes around you. It's very funny always. It's a good device to, like, play into Edmund's paranoia. Yeah, correct. I mean, I thought that, like, in the opening credits, like, they gave the king, like, a intro. Like, that this guy... But they'll do that sometimes in shows to throw you off. Oh, that's true. Things like that will happen. But now we're doing, again, uh, I love the way some things are just said so much better in different countries. They refer to this as the ceremony of desecration. Like, that's just a beautiful wording of what this is. We don't really know what's going to happen, but they're bringing in a photo of Henry Tudor, and we're going to desecrate him in some capacity. I don't know if everybody, like, pisses on it. I think they were going to fuck its mouth. Yeah, they're going to fuck the painting's mouth. The only logical thing to do with the painting, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say poop on it. All right. (laughs) Did you just fart? (laughs) No, everyone just was quiet because you just... I think you were deep in thought thinking about pooping on the painting. (laughs) Everyone just wanted to give you your moment. I like that I could say fuck a panting's mouth and no one bats an eye, but you say pooping and you get a moment of silence. I repeated it. You, you <laughs> said it and I was like, yeah, fuck his mouth. <laughs> Gordo says poop and everyone's like, all right, ma'am, I have to edit that out now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a double stand. <laughs> it really is. So yeah, again, Gordo, grow the fuck up. If you two are getting bullied, please reach out to an adult. <laughs> Gordo got decapitated later and we all fucked his mouth. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, anyway, so that yeah, that we see this the painting now for the desecration ceremony, and that's when it becomes in- incredibly clear that Henry Tudor is the guy. That they've been holding this whole time and trying to, like, aid him. Right, and they gave us some hints of that, and you didn't quite get what they were. By this point, I had figured it out, be- even before the picture, just because of how many times they brought him up, I go, oh, he's the soldier. Because they both have the, like, I feel like I know you from somewhere, right? Like, yeah. they have the, yeah. like, earlier recognition scene. But he brings in the painting of himself. No, that wasn't him No, he's not the one bringing it in, okay, that's so just somebody else in the... brought it in looks just, just happen like, to look similar yeah. yeah he looks that's what i thought like the i thought the same thing be, yeah was that henry tudor brings henry tudor and nobody like bats an eye it's like i'm a henry tudor i'm ben rebooter it's like <laughs> oh he's fine he's from a different <laughs> castle in the south I'm Henry Booter. The famous painter. <laughs> but yeah i did need i needed that visual of like i needed the flashbacks to see his face though because i i don't think i would have caught it based on just the painting I think the flashbacks were very helpful to notice that. And I do love that when he freaks out, he doesn't run out of the room. He falls to his knees and then, like, crawls out of the room. But then when he gets to the hallway, he runs. That feels so British to me, where, like, he then he gets out of the room and he runs away. Like, it's just very, very Monty Python again. And when he gets to his room, obviously, Henry Tudor has been transported in that painting out of there. And the only person in there is the dead King Richard III. 
And uh, this is where we mentioned Ferg. He opens the door for him because Edmund is searching yeah. all over the castle, trying to find where his body is. And uh, when he's not in the room, he runs out screaming. And the king opens the door, to which I think a great little joke here is when he opens the door, Edmund's like, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Because he still <laughs> respects him as a king, even though he's a ghost that he murdered, and then runs out the door. And basically to break it down to everyone listening, like, if you if you didn't follow it at this point but like essentially the rival king in in the war would have died because he made that very clear when he ran into edmund originally if he was left alone there was like ready to die in battle they took him in and like brought him back to health so now this whole war, like even though they won this battle at the end of the day they lost they their saved king. the king the did, yeah and they saved the opposing king and edmund is responsible for both things happening also now the 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 opposing king now has knowledge that the actual king was killed. That too. too. So essentially, right. if Edmund stays in bed and never shows up to this battle, then you have King Richard III is alive, and, and then you have this guy here is dead. So everything would have worked out just swimmingly. It's quite the butterfly effect. Like nursing, nursing Hitler back to health and finding out that, he, that Churchill was dead and decapitated, you'd be like, uh, he's got to tell people about that. All right, so after Edmund freaks out and leaves the house and gives the bows to the king, we, we get a repeat of the shot from the beginning, basically, where he's running across the... I don't know if these are moors or meadows. It's a very English thing. I think that they're moors. I think they're meadows, but moors are swampy and have the fog. I thought all of London had the fog. <laughs> and this is like the uh, episode of Married with Children, where they go to old-timey England, and they put a curse on El Bundy that his entire generation will have smelly, stinky feet. <laughs> Just one of the greatest episodes of the entire series. Uh, But he creates the fog to make it harder for Edmund to see. So we repeat that shot. And then he comes to randomly... To make this show get even fucking weirder out of nowhere, he's chasing the ghost... He's being chased by a dead ghost king. He's going after the alive king from another place. And then he just rolls through the fog and ends up at a... A gaggle of witches at a cauldron? Did anybody expect this? Because I did not no, expect no. this. No, it makes no, no sense. <laughs> so it's like, wait, there's fucking witches now? <laughs> it's funny because it almost jumps from like something Shakespearean to something by like Homer. Right. Yeah, this is very much more like a Greek mythology thing. But then yeah. to keep it very British, all three witches do Sig Heil <laughs> to fucking Edmund. Where I was like, okay, now I'm fucking lost as to what's going on. Don't mention the Germans. I think we did once, but I got away with it. That's all I could think of, Gordo, from Faulty Towers. Yeah, I didn't expect this at all. It's very, very random. It's just three witches hovering over a giant cauldron. I mean, but people used to, I mean, witches were a thing, right? Witches be witching. It's one of those things where I think about, like, if you were out somewhere in the middle of the night doing something like that, if you're not camping, you're doing something that, like, probably you wouldn't be doing as an adult. Right, like think of us being out in the middle of the woods or the reeds or something because somebody bought us beer as kids, right? Like you're drinking out there because you don't want to be seen. You're not usually out in the middle of the the fields for a good reason. But back in the Middle Ages, you couldn't be out at night. That was actually against the law. That's why there was night sentries that they would open up the, you know, roll up the gates. So if you were out, be out. If you were out of the cat, you couldn't be walking around. Like, you were seen as trouble. I don't know one way or another if that's true. I've seen that would be plenty of documentaries on it, my friend. You look I'm not a history up. guy, I believe you. I don't. <laughs> I get no stake in the game. What if you're young, can you be out there? I mean, what if not just you're middle-aged? 
What? <laughs> it's just a word joke. Middle aged. Waka waka. I'm really firing all cylinders tonight. Boys. Sorry. But yeah, these these witches essentially, yeah, they they come bearing good news when uh when Edmund gets to them. And basically, they let him know that hey, good news, you're gonna be the king. And we get a lot of this. Is, there's a lot of great too. We've talked about it before, but we haven't detailed that every scene that is based on a camera shot of Rowan Atkinson's face. He just makes the smarmy, very funny Rowan Atkinson face. And he does this here out of pride, right? He's like, I'm going to be king. <laughs> he gets back on his horse. He's like, God be with you, you snaggletooth vultures. <laughs> which all I could think of, which is a movie we bring up every episode somehow, was in Little Nicky. He was like, what you going to do? Bite me with your snaggletooth? <laughs> I fucking laughed for so long at this. And that was so sad that there was no big horny bird involved in this episode, which really would have taken it over the top. I just think it's really weird that when you look at this scene... We talked about it earlier, and now to get into it, like, we have the credits and then a post scene, but the post scene is, like, extremely important. You know, like, you know, we talk about modern sitcoms all the time. They have the, like, the end scene that's, like, insignificant to the episode. You missed a piece, though, because they give you the significant part before the credits. Well, do they? Because it ends with him saying, like, history, here I come, and then he, like, he runs off. Yeah, they tell him he's going to be king. The post credit scene is them thinking that he was... Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. So, essentially, like, if you don't watch the credits and then catch this little post scene, like, you miss an important part of this episode, which basically changes the the history of it all. To your point, they say, history, here I come, and then you get the... Black Adder logo, and he yeah. rides off, and there's just a song, and like you would normally feel like in a pre-digital world when you can tell how much is left. Yeah, most people would change. I mean, how many movies do you think we missed stinger scenes for as kids because we just weren't trained to stay to the end of the credits? And yeah. you find out later on, you're like, oh wait, there was more there. Now we find out it's like I forget. I think you mentioned it. Like they they get the wrong guy. It's not. It's not even. He's not even meant to be king. Before that, though, there is one really funny thing. So the entire credit scene, for the most part, is him riding around on horses. And then it inexplicably (laughs) changes to a snowy field out of nowhere. And the horse bucks him off and then (laughs) runs away, which I thought was very, very funny. And again, like the absurdest kind of humor of this, right? Where like he's riding through the night and all of a sudden it's just the daytime and very snowy. And the horse (laughs) fucking knocks him off and runs away. Like I love that level of shows like this and the the BBC sitcoms where they're just so fucking wildly weird. Do I remember? Is it? Was it Henry Tudor that they said is going to be the king? Yeah. Yeah. So they thought he was Henry Tudor. They were confused because he wasn't as good looking and he looked more Jewish than they remembered. (laughs) And that he sort of looked like that last guy who ran by. And then they end on, oh no, we did it again. Which, I'm sorry, I need more information to that. Did you proclaim the king improperly before? Is that what they're trying to say? Probably. They're probably not good fortune tellers. (laughs) They're bad witches? Yeah. They should have got Free Spirit to do it, but instead they got these three. They didn't know where witches fit in with this folklore yet, so they were still, like, testing the waters. Do we have cauldrons yet? This is a weird, like, mixing of the, like, like, uh, Ferg, I thought you mentioned it perfectly, right? Like, Shakespeare plus witches is, like, I don't think, like, I have not read, I'm no Shakespeare scholar. I don't recall witches in any Shakespeare play, though. As fair as foul and foul as fair. Like, that kind of witch stuff. Yeah, like I guess you have that sort of thing. Like uh, in Princess my Bride. My witch, my witch, my kingdom for a witch. Like Princess Bride, you know, like those types of people. Yeah, and I, I'm going to guess the witches. I mean, that's a big thing. Uh, usually they hang out in Eastwick. 
but you know they were here for this time. I didn't know much. Of, I don't know much about medieval witches in the UK though. Yeah, Mac- Macbeth had witches. Did Macbeth have witches? Okay. Oh right, they tell the story right. They they sort of bring it along like Greek mythology, like you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Again, none of us here are Shakespeare scholars. I we all know a little bits and drabs because it's just not taught to us here. And to be fair, it's pretty dry. Most Shakespeare I know is from, uh, what's the Danny DeVito movie? Uh, Renaissance Man. Oh, Renaissance <laughs> Man? Yeah. Renaissance Man and that, uh, the good 60s version of the Romeo and Juliet movie, and then the bad 90s version and of no the shit Romeo on the and Juliet 90s movie. Version. The one with Leo and Claire Danes? <laughs> I hate that one. Leo could do no wrong. I always thought Mercutio needed a gun, and they delivered. Anyway, with that, we have wrapped up. That is the whole episode. That is... Episode one of the first series of Black Adder. Again, it does go on for f- three more series after this, all in different time frames, and a number of one-off specials, too, which is a big thing with the UK shows, too. They'll do, like, every five years might pop in. There's, like, a Christmas one a couple years ago, um, and I think they maybe even did one last year, the year before, but it did not have Ron Atkinson in it. It was some other characters. Lame. But I do appreciate the way they do shows like this. England, I think, is, the UK in general, rather, they're better at this than the US is, of being like, hey, look, if you like this show, we'll do another season every 10 or 15 years. Like Red Dwarf, right? Like, they'll just pop in and be like, fuck it, people want it. I would love if The Office popped in and were like, look, we'll do one season here. We might do one later, but we're not going to, like, commit to it. I think that's honestly better than something like The Connors, right? Where you're like, I don't know, it might be more fun if you came in for 10 episodes, you told one great story. And then maybe if you have another great story, come back in a few years, right? But, like, instead of just making it another show that goes week to week. I don't know. I, I always enjoy we, that. We're just too concerned. Too many channels. Too much competition. There needs to be all this content at all times. Right. And it needs to be streaming every week. You need to watch it. And Now, I know that it's, like, each series is a different, like, timepiece. Is there any connection from one to the other? I know it's, like, the same people. But is there any flow? If you watch the series story two, and don't even acknowledge it. Yeah, I think it connects. I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's relative to the people, but it's different. Like, would it almost be not that we would do it, but like Blackadder 2? If we wanted to watch episode one of season two, it could almost be an episode of on its own for us in, in that it's a completely yeah, fresh Yeah, start. you could do it because they're connected characters, relatives to the characters, but they're not. But you're starting completely fresh. Traveling through time, yeah. And I would say, I would say this too, we mentioned earlier, but like, I remember that one season, Gordon already mentioned it too, grabbing me so much more that was about World War One. And like, look, that's definitely much more my wheelhouse of what I find interesting in history. It would be very interesting to see what you guys thought of that versus this, right? Because it's a time that we're all much more familiar with, like the 19-teens mm. or whatever, right? Like, things are way closer to this generation now, yeah. 100 years ago. Even though it's 100 years ago. I was watching a Titanic documentary the other day, and I was like, it's fucking crazy. That was like 110 years ago. And they're just like look at these nice pictures and all this stuff going on and everybody wearing suits. And you're like, it seems so far away, but also 30 years from then, you know, we were in world war two flying planes and it's just dropping nuclear bombs. Like the world moves so quickly that I'm terrified of where we'll the be. The Titanic was before world war one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like five years, I think. I don't want to stretch this anymore, but so like real quick before we get into the green lights, I don't know why, but this keeps popping up on my Instagram, but there's an account with some just weird dude who's trying to build the largest collection. He has it now, the largest collection of Titanic on VHS. I have seen that, the double tapes. He has like over 3,000 sets of it now. Unnecessary. Yeah. I will say this, though, in a world, I think we've even talked about this, in a world of VHS tapes being better than any other way to watch a movie, 
you could put on oh. the second tape of Titanic 2, and it was right when the crash started. So you could avoid all the bullshit of the first movie, like, paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. And yeah, you but on just DVD, put on you can two. just skip to that chapter. So how is that better? It looks better on a VHS tape. That's definitely not true, but we don't have time for that to be right now. You can't recreate on our modern TVs. On a CRT, though, it looks great. Well, in any event, I think yeah, I think we've we've kind of hit the the point where it's time to do a green light or cancel. This has been a pretty long episode. Joe, you want me to take it over from here? Or do you or do you want to do it? Why don't you jump into the green light or cancel so I can get some water? All right, so uh, I'll go in the order I see you guys in, except for when we get to Joe, so he can take a sip of water. Um, Nick, starting with you. So yeah, the first um, you know five minutes of this episode, I was just like, uh oh, I. I don't know if I just wasn't in the mood for it, if it just wasn't my thing, I, or just not in the mood for it at the time. And then it rolled on a little bit, and I was like, man. And then I noticed the, uh, then I remembered how long it was going to be. It was going to be 33 minutes, and I was like, oh, no. And then Rowan Atkinson shows up and just completely fucking changed my mood entirely because he's amazing. And the the rest of the show, I mean, there's so many differences between, like, comedy at this time, between... Uh, across the pond and here it's just it's just a lot different i can't list all the ways it's different it just really feels different sometimes i don't like it like we've done a few shows that i i've canceled uh you know from the uk but like this one has enough that it, i i definitely i want to see more and especially i didn't know that each season goes through a different period of time that's really interesting to me i know it has nothing to do with the actual pilot itself so it doesn't really count towards my green light but i am green lighting it I'd be hard pressed to cancel anything that he's the main part of Rowan Atkinson. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's unique. It's, it's funny. It's strange in all the right ways. Uh, I want to see more. So it's a green light. Ferg. I mean, I agree with everything Nick said. It was a 33 minute show. It flew by for me. I'm not going to cancel anything with Mr. Bean, just mugging at the camera and doing funny voices. <laughs> it's just it's my sense of humor. I haven't canceled many foreign shows that we've covered. Um, I think it's all great and just green light, short and sweet. Gordo. I'm gonna green light this. I enjoyed it. This was my pick. So of course I was going to green light it. But this is it was funny. Uh and Rowan Atkinson really makes the show. I agree with what Nick said about the first couple of minutes, and then you know, he shows up and then it just takes off. Question though, is this one of the only speaking roles that Mr. Bean has? No. 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 Mr. Bean is like one of the few, just the most. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's, that's the sorry, outlier. I meant Rowan Atkinson. Is, did he jump into Mr. Bean directly after this and then you kind of don't hear him? Uh, Johnny English. He plays Johnny English. He talks oh, okay. about that. Right. Uh, even Mr. Bean talks sometimes. Yeah. And I will say, you know what he's great in? He is one of the, um, like, sort of MI5 people in never say never again the last john connery james bond movie from the middle 80s and he's great in that basically playing the character he always does and he talks a lot in that and he's he's always funny when he speaks okay either way oh mr bond (laughs) (laughs) either way green light for me joe yeah look i say i was coming out of a deficit on this one because i've had a really really hard couple of weeks here and it's really hard to do notes on a 33-minute episode, especially when you've never hosted one before. So I had to take different kind of notes than I usually do. And again, peek behind the curtain. It usually takes me a couple hours to three hours to do notes per episode anyway, right? So this was tough. And I loved the episodes that I saw as a kid. And I was worried I was going to be down on it. 
because of that. And then we all started talking about it and like that all lifted where I was like, I had so much fun watching this. I really, really did enjoy it. There's so many things. This episode is so long. There's so many dense gags we didn't even get into. There's a scene where they just pan to everybody sleeping. The fuck you call me? Said dense gags. Come on. Oh, geez, Louise. Come on, dude. Come on. (sighs) Go ahead. Anyway, you see Baldrick sleeping and he's just using a dead dog as his pillow. It's never referenced again. I meant to bring that up when it happened and I forgot about it, but yes, it's a dead dog. That's, that's how dense the episode is with funny stuff where like we just show him sleeping on a dead dog on the floor and they're just like, anyway, on to the next thing. Like, that's so fucking funny. I, I really love this show. I'd love to rewatch it again. And, and again, like Nick, you mentioned, you know, I haven't seen for sure all of the seasons. I love the idea that it changes in time. And I like that these shows pop in so you can check in with the characters again, maybe even 20 years later. Uh, it's a green light for me. I imagine I'll really enjoy watching this without having to take copious notes with very small handwriting across 10 pages of paper that my right hand no longer works for. Yeah, so for me, uh, a couple things. First, Joe, I would say, I don't know if you did this or not. Typically, when I do an episode, I try to, time permitting, I always try to watch the episode just free of notes before I do my notes because it, it gives you an opportunity to just like enjoy the show. Or not I enjoy did do that, yeah. But you know what I mean? Because then you can formulate your opinion there and be like, okay, I'm going to, this is this is how I feel about it. And then when you have to deep dive and do kind of all the grunt work, it, it you know, you, you've already kind of made your decision. But in any event, yeah, so I've made it very clear. This is not my normal wheelhouse. Um, I, I Usually a lot of the, the older British shows aren't for me, and I'm not a history guy. But I will say I did find this to be entertaining. My big complaint here would be, as I watched this, I thought this would have been better suited as a movie. I think this could have been like a great one-off movie instead of dragging this on as a, as a whole series. I think you could have told the complete story that way um, because the episode did feel a little long to me at times. So um, I'm not as strong of a green light as the rest of you, but I am going to green light it. But yeah, I, I would have I would have preferred maybe like a two-hour movie kind of give me the whole story that way and condense it, but... I'll take it. Five I think or five club. Yeah. So um, congratulations to Black Adder. We're giving you the perfect five out of five. So you do live on to see another episode with us. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. It is a long episode. So thanks for sticking it out with us. I want to tell you all once again, go to S1E1pod.com. That's where you can find all the links to find all our social medias, everywhere you can find us um, on X and Instagram, uh, S1E1pod. That's where you can find everywhere where to listen to us, share, let other people know about us. It means a lot to us. But to not keep you guys any longer, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you again next week with another new episode. Thank you. Goodbye. I think we got the best. Bye.